G'day, Aether Quartz Addicts, AOS Coach here, back in the brand new studio. It's still being worked on, so uh, not completely finished yet, but it's not a green screen, folks. It is, uh, I've been doing up the, the background and trying to change up the studio a little bit. So um, welcome to the early edition of Lumineth Realm Lords. So the new battle tome dropped, what, a couple of weeks ago? Um, we're still waiting for an official FAQ, so don't quote us if you watch this later on and something's changed. But I'm here with uh, Kuba Kostarik. Cost oh, I already butchered that. I practiced. I hey, almost practice got it. Costa Rubik. No. Costa Rubik. Costa Rubik. Yeah, it's good enough. We can go with that. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm but proud of you. you. Costa. <laughs> Kuba <laughs> is from um I want a proper introduction. You're uh you're the number one uh Lumineth player on the TSN network from the last season, and you are also a worlds player from Team Poland. So you played uh in the worlds 2022. So we are in very good hands to get through the salt mines that is this Lumineth Realm Lords book and try to understand a little bit of this early thinking, you know, what's good, what's not good, um, where is the strength, um, is it time to put my sentinels in the shelf or in the bin, is it the time of the battle cattle, uh, you know, is it time that kangaroos come out with their, with their nice little shooting ability. I want to get into the mind of my guest to understand a little bit about how you're thinking about new Lumineth, and knowing as well we're on the eve of a new General's Handbook, so you know, a couple of months time, who knows what's going to happen. But before we get into that, welcome, introduce yourself and pronounce your name properly, because clearly I can't. <laughs> okay, so I'm Kuba Kostrubiec. I know it's tough for some people to pronounce, Kost I mean, for Kost most people. Kostrubiec. Yeah, oh, you did it. You actually did it correctly. <laughs> you got one thing going for us. So yeah, I played for the Team Poland in the Worlds. I'm not sure if I'll play for now. I played Lumina for pretty much the whole year, the last year. And I think the faction was good. It was very toxic for your opponent, or at least I was told so when I played against them. Uh, and it, it was really strong, right? Right now, I think the book is pretty good. I think it works. It's for sure way more like lax for your opponent. There is way less interactions of rules they need to know. And I'm pretty sure they'll have a better time playing against you. And if anything, your damage is very low, so you won't save your opponent's turn too, or at least you shouldn't. So this is what I want to get into, right? Because everyone knows I have a Discord. It's very, very active. And I think, and, and like not just my Discord, I see it in on Facebook, I see it on Twitter. It seems like a lot of people are generally upset with this book because you seem to have lost more than you've gained. You know, there were a lot of changes with Lumineth, right? Whether it was the Sentinels lo losing their line of sight blocking, uh, like they could obviously ignore that. You saw what currently Techless lost the spell law. Hopefully that's fixed. I think that's dumb. Please fix that. Put the, the yeah, spell law that. back on Techless. As fast as you can. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gained some stuff with Shining Company, which was great. Uh, there were some nice boosts in the other Earth builds with, your, you know, your Beefer of Secrets and things like that. Um there were changes with the Cathalar, but as I went through all the changes, it felt like you lost a lot. So I guess, what's your take? What's your take so far on this book and what's your general perspective? So I would say the book is still fine. It's probably slightly weaker, like a little bit than the version before the GHB, right? Because Galician veterans hurt us a lot in the sense that like bounty hunters with a lot of attacks really wrecked the front line of ours. And now that there are no foxes to block the middle of the field, I mean, they are, but they don't really work. 
uh, you cannot like protect your veterans very well with the foxes. And that way you really need to invest either into Stone Guard, who can survive some stuff um, because of the Rend Ignore and stuff like that. Or you just need to play like Blade Lords, who are not battle line. That's a funny take to, for your front lines. You can just run them non-battle line Blade Lords, but it's like a weird build either. It doesn't really work. And the spelling, we lost a lot of spells. Like the real big one is, of course, Lambent Light, which meant that Sentinels can't really win a game for you. So you can just have your 40 Sentinels and Lambent Light stuff of the field throughout five turns because your damage won't add up into like the Nurgles, the Beasts of Chaos, the, the Gargans, even, right? You won't be able to kill them in time. And you, we've lost uh, a lot of like Battleshock immunity stuff. We had two spells that gave us Battleshock immunity. We lost the Cathalar transference, and there is a lot of stuff that turns off the Inspiring Presence. And like, like Voice of the Mountain had changed as well. You don't have that spell anymore. Yeah, that's that hurts a lot because, in a sense, that like you could just uh, storm away with Techless, just throw the voice and horror gust, and like pretty much all of the battle line of your opponents, like low to middle quality, would like run off or at least half of the units. It works very well for that purpose. So, and generally speaking, Luminef are right now are pretty slow as a faction because you will want to invest in the Stone Guard, at least I think so. And Stone Guard are really, really slow. It, it actually hurts a lot to move them around the field if you don't get the speeds and stuff. So I think you need to invest in a more tanky build and just try to sit on the objectives and wear your opponent over a long period of time. And you can do it either with Techless and storming the opponent or having a Valinor and increasing your damage output by a lot because the Stone Guard are pretty good at doing damage. They are still like slightly weaker than Wardens because they still get two attacks a guy, but you get twice less guys in the unit because you buy five for a reason at pretty much the same amount of points. With a Valinor, they actually jump in damage quite high and there is a lot of buffs for Alarif. So if you put everything on, they really, really do the damage. Otherwise, but if you don't, they like they slog and they like, it takes a long time to get rid of a lot of stuff with the army. It's in my opinion, right? The damage isn't fantastic, especially as I played Thunderizard recently, and you just lift everything around you all the time. So this is more of a sloggy game. So bring your clocks. <laughs> yeah, it's very much like if you play Magic the Gathering, it's very much that blue type of deck. It's very much control and you're not you're not gargants, right? You're not doing high damage, you're not doing an industrial amount of mortal wounds, you're not doing a lot of high rend, you're not doing high volumes of attack. It's very much about the control and the grind, but you've lost a few of those tools. And I think almost like Jack from Rerolling Ones kind of made a really good comment here. You are paying for the sins of the past, right? Because you've gone through waves and Jack, you are one of the people to blame. I've seen your lists. You ran 50 Sentinels running around and you mentioned something earlier on, you know, you mentioned the feel bad element and I don't want to get into that, right? But a lot of the things that were kind of removed were the things that were the made people feel bad, whether it was uh, the, the Sentinels shutting down, like killing heroes and being able to ignore line of sight and just be appealing, uh, the foxes moving around um, in my turn and, you know, capping objectives or, you know, uh, some melee forces aren't able to catch the foxes. A lot of things have kind of changed. And you mentioned earlier, even the Cathalar, that that changed as well, the, the bravery debuffing and then stopping people from doing their thing. So... How do you think that's going to impact your games moving forward? Because I think one of the things that I heard a lot from the community was that people just didn't enjoy playing against Lumineth. And some people actually felt bad playing with Lumineth, you know, and that sucks. That sucks that people who painted their army, love their faction, feel bad about something that is really out of their control. It's just the thing that they love. 
So on the feel bad thing, I think that Luminef are pretty feel bad for a guy who didn't know what he was getting into. If you knew what the Foxes do, if you knew the, what the Sentinels can do, if you knew the stuff or were kind of prepared for it, or you experienced it once, it wasn't that bad, at least in my opinion. And But if you, you, you just strat, sorry, went and play a pickup game with a guy with your Fox list, and they learn the stuff they can't do to you, because like a well-piloted Fox list into a new guy, you would lose pretty much like no models or stuff like that. And you would table them turn three if they position terribly. And over like the, the eclipses, like eclipses isn't really that bad for your opponent. They just have to sit down for 15 seconds and count their command points. And if they do that, you, they can manage the eclipse fine, at least in my opinion. I, I never had a problem playing against Luminef with the eclipse. You just have to like understand, yeah, I, I won't have my all out attack or all out defense at that stage, yeah. which of course sucks, right? But I still cast a spell on a, that's now a casting value nine, right? Or I invested like a fourth of a tech list to cast that spell. So I still think it's, 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 it's an investment for the Luminef player. And it's actually like right now it casts on a nine. So it's not that easy to get outside of him. And it shouldn't happen every turn, at least now, if you're not facing techless. And uh, the Kafalar part, I I didn't really battle shock anything like impressive out of the field with her. It was more of a I have a two up to save a unit from like getting walloped, and it worked through night haunt and through horror ghasts and stuff like that. And that was for me always more important than the bouncing. I did like maybe like two current of hunters or something was my best Kafalar ever. It didn't really do that much because uh, when you had a small unit and I didn't really like large unit of uh, wardens, and if I did, I ran a regent instead of a cavalier with them for other reasons. And like when you have a little unit and they get hit and like you, you lose seven wardens, the three remaining ones will not do that much damage to really like hurt the target that attacked them or like you will kill like, it won't kill like a, a fulminator, right? You won't do that. Mm. You could kill like two orcs and then like maybe shock a lot of them, right? But I mean, like art boys, right? But I don't think anyone would be really that salty about losing five art boys to an ability. So and, let, let's talk about like that's the that's the old world, right? That's the where yeah, things were kind of, of like it made people feel bad, and and you know you're right. Like competitive players, especially practice people, were going in, going right. How do I handle foxes? How do I handle this? How do how do I not rely on my five wound idiot dying from being shot off the board, or maybe making sure I've got two or three of those idiots to kind of knowing that one's going to die. You know, good competitive players were planning for that. Let's move to today. Let's move to the new book. Let's look about how do you think this book is going to start playing and how are you thinking about this book going into the tournament season moving forward? Has your list changed? Have you started to look at other parts of the book? And we'll get I'll, I'll get up the rules pretty soon, but just what's your high-level thinking so far? And by the way, um, thank you, Matt, for joining um, the, and becoming a YouTube member. Much appreciated. But uh, Kuba, over to you. How are you thinking about this at a very high level? So I would say the build changed a lot. Um, at the beginning of this GHB, I played like Frontline of Dawn Riders to avoid Galician veterans and getting, you know, table turn two by Nurgle and stuff like that. And right now, I think you want to invest in Stoneguard, like at least 25 of them, probably 30 if you can. And you can either complement them with Techlist, which I think is the superior way, provided he knows the spellers, of course, right? If he doesn't, you don't want him. Because Techlist gives you the ability to unbind the enemy spells. Because, like, okay, so Stoneguard's biggest weakness is rent free and above, right? And most of the armies can't really have rent free outside of spells. So, like Sylvaneth, you don't usually see the Sives. And outside of the Sives, there is the spell Tree Song. 
And you can just out one bind tree song, and then the Sylvanath will not have rent free. Or like daughters with their mind razor or the sundering blades from the Beast of Chaos before turn three. So Techlist gives you a lot of protection for that. And he also gives you a lot of protection for spells that just decrease your save onto you and like like control phase like the purple suns because of the four plus spell ignore. And he just boosts your defense the most on your frontline stuff while also giving you a win condition from just storming your opponent of the field overall and forcing your opponents to come towards you, right? So that's why I prefer him overall. And he gives you the mobility through teleports and stuff like that. Or by by go, the way, you're talking yeah. you're talking with the stone guard specifically in Eumetrica, who can yeah yeah, yeah. Rend one and, outside of Eumetrica, obviously it's only rend one, but in in Eumetrica, it's rend one and rend two. Yeah, outside of Eumetrica, I probably don't want stone guards, but so that's why that's I what that's what that's what I wanted to call out, just in case I was running yeah, like yeah. alumni. I'm sorry, or... I forgot about you know you can even do that. I, I thought that's illegal. <laughs> so <laughs> you can either do with Teclis or with Avalanor, and Avalanor is kind of different because. He gives you the minus one to hit, which is really, really big. And Avalanor was changed to to sorry affect units, not models in range. So that gives you a pretty big boost to your defense because that's the main thing that Stormguard don't have that the Vanari do, which is minus one to hit. Mm. He also boosts your damage by a lot because his command ability increases like by 50% or something on the Stormguard. So they actually slap back if you have him. And he himself does pretty good damage right now. Finally, that he has like rent that's above, you know, one. And you can fit Eltharion easily. And Eltharion is also a beast. He he does like more damage to highly armored targets than Avalanor. And he really can one tap like pretty good heroes like Durf and stuff like that. And he's actually kind of tough to take down. So he becomes a menace in like the mid game after you have lost your stone guard or most of them. And you just start moving him around and he does a lot of damage then. And overall, I'd say you either you want to Secure your stone guard blocks with expert conquerors because it's really busted and they have a ward of four up against mortals. So you can like survive stuff like Nergo flies and with another units that do mortals as well as damage without the support of spells. When you're on the yeah. objective, right? It's it's a four up ward save. So when you need you're to contest objective? an objective that you're controlling. So if you like charge the enemy in your turn on the point that is theirs, you won't get the ward. You on the, it needs to go through the the checking of who takes the point at the end of the turn, and then if at least one guy from the unit stands on the like within six, of course, uh, you get the four upward against mortals, and it's really good against stuff like like Nurgle with Belakor, right? Against because like Belakor is really good against Teclis, obviously, yeah. as he like makes you one of your hero phases or two useless, and like Stoneguard is the only unit that can reliably like survive a charge from flies in the book. Like you can just put your wardens and they'll just get you know taken off the field pretty much every single one of them every single time and you just lose the game because lose 40 wardens because they belacard your checklist and stone guard can do that especially if the flies aren't bounty hunters right which is the big thing the big problem of the of the faction right now and that's why i also like avalanor because you can have a big dude in the middle of your front line who isn't a veteran and he still ignores the rands and he's still pretty tough and you can hold the enemy charges and, I want to pull up yeah. this. I want to pull up this question because I think we, you know, we're getting into the weeds, which is great, but I don't want to quite go there just yet, because I recognize there's a lot of different builds, right? Whether you want to go into, you know, the the wind charge type things, you know, you you've the, you've obviously got the wardens and the sentinels, you've got your dawn riders, you've got your stone guard and things like that. But I think one of the things that I saw in the last book is that a lot of lists weren't very different. 
you know, you always had, it was either a techless list or a no techless list. And you would see usually Sentinels, you'd see Wardens, you see the Cathalar, you would see maybe a unit of Dawn Riders, maybe you'd see maybe a Fox or two. Um, but very rarely did you see a lot of the parts of the book. Um, do you think, to Stefan's point, do you think this new book is going to bring some more diversity when it comes to list creation? Yeah, it for sure does. Like a lot of our heroes became useful, like at all. So even the Caligraph is pretty good right now, even though he has some issues, but he's like usable right now. And he wasn't at all previously. I, I tried a lot. I, I actually played like 10 games with him. Uh, the Cafalar, I think, is pretty good still. Like, you just get a cheap caster. She isn't the menace she was, especially this GHB when she was like uh, probably like 100% over undercosted. Sorry, she should have cost like 200 points probably, but she didn't. The Regent is still good, even though she's slightly weaker because the Sentinels are weaker and the Regent is the best thing you can do for Sentinels, but we can talk about it later. And like Banner Blade became actually stuff that you can look at. It wasn't like the, the worst scroll in the book. It's actually pretty good. You get he's good. Charge. He was real good. When I saw that banner blade glow up, I'm like, this is hot. Yeah, this is like the best you could have hoped for. There were some rumors that he would give you run and charge. That would be slightly better, but still, a bubble of rearing charges is good. I'm not a particular fan of including him because he still costs you 100 points, which is like five dudes, and you don't have a lot of dudes in your army. And I'm not charging that much, personally. I prefer to just stand because the buffs are now short range, right? The command tree is like a holy within six. And it's really hard to manage that if you're charging your stone guard next to your stone mage. So, and essentially when you charge like one unit, you can count the banner blade as a free CP per turn, right? Because it gives you the reroll, sort of free CP. And I'm not even garrisoning my shrine most of the games. So I'm not really using a free CP anyway that I have built in. But the big thing about the banner blade is that he gives you the minus one to hit, right? You can just pop the banner and get the minus one to hit when you need it. If you lost your Avalanor or if you used your Ballistae, which are really good right now, the Ballistae are improved a lot. They have like, okay. they have the best range ever, right? If, if you have two Ballistae, both of them are 36 inch range and they can move six and still shoot at the full profile, the best profile they have. So they are very good at like giving you the presence to do damage over the, throughout the table so that your opponent is kind of forced to move into you, which is like, the preferred way because the Stone Guard are incredibly slow. Yes. And the, and the double speed of Hish from the Enlighter only works, you know, 66% of the time. And if you don't, if you move like one block isolated, your opponent has a lot of surface area on them, they can envelop them and just wreck them, right? So I'd say that you generally want a way to force your opponent towards you. And it's either through techniques or shooting, right? Sentinels are still fine. They're still pretty good. Their damage is pretty not great, but you can use them as a great like support hero, kind of. So if you need like your, your Mystic Shield, your Ethereal Blessing or something like that caster, you can just plop them in the back. They screen your backyard from the teleports. They still like do like two or three damage throughout the field and they cast your spell on the unit you want the spell to be cast on. So that's still pretty useful. I don't think that like Sentinels can work as a spammy thing because you'll just be doing like 25 damage a turn and that's not enough to win the game, simply. Even if you're castled, you'll start losing stuff there is the funny thing in Helon, but we can talk about that with the sub-factions. Yeah, well, well, we'll bring up all the rules in a minute. I've got a couple of burning questions I want to ask you, sure. and then we're going to get into the rules, right? I'm going to I'm going to throw a, a, a bone to to friend of the channel, Jack, um, because it's one of the questions I do want to ask you, is one of the things that really surprised me is you've made some friends. 
not just on the tournament scene at the table, but you've actually made some ally friends. You've got Daughters of Cain, um, you've got Idmuth Deepkin, you have Stormcast, and you have someone else. It's uh, Sylvan F. Idmuth, Daughters, and Stormcast. Do you think there's any good allies for you to start considering? And if they are, what are they and why would you potentially consider those allies? Yeah, sure thing. So from the Idenf, the shark is actually pretty funny because you take the, the net launcher and you shoot it at the unit. And then you, with wardens, you just charge in so that one of the guys is within half of the inches. And then you move like a line that's like two inches away from your opponent. And if they don't have like long range melee weapons, a lot of the units won't attack you. So it's pretty useful. It was useful since the beginning of the book. And it works still, even though I think the shark is slightly too expensive right now to use. But it's an option that's certainly working, right? If hordes become meta, like Harfguard and stuff, you might still want to use it because it works. with And because you have really long-range weapons in melee. And because foxes no longer reduce pylons, this is our mm. only way to do so in the book. Also, the Kinerai are pretty good. So if you're running, like, full... Alarif, right? No Dawn Riders, no Kangaroos, no Techless. You might want a unit of Kinerai to just have a threat to just prop it in the back and secure the backfield from your opponent for battle tactic purposes or points. And since they automatically move after shooting, it's really, really hard to screen against them for objective purposes, right? Because so Kinerai, Kinerai from the Daughters of Cain, just for anyone yeah, yeah. who might not uh, be familiar with the War Scroll, they're, they're hot. They're well, no, no, the no, no, shooting no, no. ones, not no, the no, combat no. ones. I don't know yeah, their yeah. names, but the shooting ones. You, yeah, you, you for 95 points, they come down from the sky as long as they're going to come down by turn before turn four. Uh, as long as they shoot, they can move uh, six inches for free as well. So they're great. I, I run them in Daughters of Cain. They're great for stealing objectives. They can sco score multiple battle tactics. Um, you know, desecrate their lands, can help you be in their territory. So good shout. Um, yeah, the only thing about them that people sometimes use is you cannot move after unleashing hell because they make a normal move of six inches. So you cannot just shoot and run away like fangs. That's pretty important because some people do that too. And like Prime is pretty funny if you make like a kind of kind of meme list of like having Techless, the Rune and the Prime and you just Mortal Wound Bomb like Stormcast style could work against like Sylvan if you probably tabled them round two throughout the table and nothing happens because they have no wounds in the list. But I, yeah, Prime is pretty useful, I'd say. And we were talking tree revs before we started as well. That was one that I think you've you've yeah. thought about. Tree revs are fine, but you reminded me that Kinerai are a thin, and I think Kinerai are better than the tree revs. Pros and cons. Pros and cons. Yeah, Once you get more like longevity from the tree revs because you can like have them in the back and then teleport them. Which is for sure, I think, like it's debatable which one you prefer. And I think it will matter more about what you expect to face against. Because if you face like alpha armies, Kinerai are better. But if you face like slower armies, three reps will be better. Because you can just w wait for the turn four and then drop them in the back. Yeah, there's pros and cons on either side. Yeah. What about the Scenarian Lightner? That's your new new wizard unit. Yeah. Um, double caster, if I, if I remember correctly. Yes. So. Um, I, I, it seems like people are generally hot about this. Do you? How do you think about the the Enlightener? So the Enlightener is absolutely fantastic. She's very expensive, which is more of a problem on the list building side because you want to spend as little points in your small support heroes as possible because you just pay a points for a unit, but it's not a unit and doesn't have the presence on the field. But generally speaking, she's really good. She's kind of cheesy right now because her War Scroll spell is very well, dumbly worded, let's say. So you can just cast it on a Derfu 
and just charger and light friend and Durfu, and he will do like 20 damage towards you. You will die, but he'll take 20 damage because it's when you allocate the damage towards her, not when she suffers the damage, right? So if you allocate 20 to her, she does 20 to a Durfu, you'll get rid of him. That's great. She also is a Sinari, so she has the 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 thing that autocaster and I the, I forgot the name. Is it Deep Thinkers? Yeah, it might be. Thank you. So the thing is really good. So when you really need that speed, and then you still need to roll a free up, but that still works. It, it gets you the guaranteed one, and it's also really good because the rune of petrification is absolutely fantastic in the book. It's a really really good endless spell, and you just can just autocast it if you need it. Also, it's a great option if you do the battle tactic to cast with four units, the, the four spells from different units, and you fail with like one or two earlier on, and you can just like make sure you cast the spell and get the tactic done. And overall, she can double cast a lot of spells. I still think speed is the best one for her, but like if there is a lot of Beasts of Chaos or a lot of Gargans, you might need more Ethereals to counteract rent free. Yeah, yeah. Two more Bernie questions, and I want to bring up the, mm -hmm. the, the rules. Um, and you've already touched on this a little bit. So between the last book and the new book, is there any units that you think have maybe had a glow up things that maybe you didn't see very often in the old book and now it's like oh I'm, I'm reconsidering it i know you talked a little bit earlier about the light of altharian um that has had a massive glow up and it seems to become very popular in list building yeah so the biggest glow up would be the, the stone guard still i think it's a better glow up than altharian guard because altharian kind of just got 50 percent damage output above for 50% damage and Stoneguard got above for like sort of amount of amount, similar amount of damage and they also gained the ward and they gained a lot of the support in the book that's not on their war scroll that works fantastically with them and that wasn't possible before also you have the the Altharian we talked about he just absolutely rips heroes he can also one shot the dirt very easily if you talk about that uh, the ballista is way better because now you have more range. You can move, you can shoot. It's and the blinding bolts, the 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 shooting thing that you want one, once per game, you give a minus one to hit your target. It works until mm. the end of the turn, not the phase or something like that. So it actually does something useful. And they have a ward always if you really need that stuff like that. So ballista good, and of course the banner blade, which actually does something instead of plus one bravery in an army which had like four other ways to ignore battle shock altogether. And he does something now on that. And Avalaner also got a large buff. More wounds, more rent. He actually does something in combat now. And the command abilities, I thought both the Avalanor and the um the what's it called? The beef what's the what's the non-beef uh, secrets? The, the Alaric Spirit of the Mountain. Yeah, this the, like their command ability <laughs> yeah. got um got boosted. Uh the Blade Lords, I think I, I really like the new attack profile on the Blade Lords instead of the previous one. Um getting a bit more uh, guaranteed. I, don't attack. Like it. I think the previous really? one better. Yeah, Why? we can talk about because like so perfect strike is pretty much always better. If you're fighting like against tough stuff, like the game right now very rarely has like a unit of 10 guys that are very tough, right? It's like, like you usually invest in like a monster or stuff like that, or a horde of Galician veterans that are conquerors. And in Bounty Hunters, they just absolutely wreck stuff with that, with the flurry of blows like horrors, which is generally speaking a weakness of the army, just dealing a lot of damage to one thing in the short period of time. So you could really wipe stuff. Also, there's the previous Perfect Strike synergized with Bounty Hunters. The current one doesn't. Mm. Even though the new Perfect Strike is absolutely fantastic, right? It's great. You can just have 10 bladers just walking around doing nine mortals in melee, which is really, really good. They have lost the Spalignor, which is a shame, but it isn't that bad, I'd say. 
and they have new shiny components, which is of course fantastic. And the thing about them that's really funny is their battle sh sorry bodyguard rule got uh, trashed again. So you have to do the bodyguard thing in the arcane cataclysm. You didn't have to, which is sometimes important. So my my thoughts and what I was specifically referring to was the profile. And you know, to to the points here below, you know, yes, there was yeah, absolutely the there was the potential to do massive amounts of attacks through five guys. But at the same time, the game has become way more elite in this edition than it was previously. And the opportunity to get a large amount of attacks hasn't really been there in the current edition, right? We're not seeing hordes, we're not seeing often. we're not seeing we're not seeing as often. So I thought yeah. the the blade lords are giving you more consistency, but yes, it okay. doesn't have the spike. Uh, so I'm sorry, so I didn't talk about this. So essentially the point is that when you have these the profile, you get two attacks per guy. So that's a single ward and worth of output. And you get twice less guys. And perfect strike is mostly better against five. I think like five models and above, you need power of hish to be better or something like that. Someone did the map, I didn't. And like power of hish is really expensive for the blade lords because they can't cast themselves. You need to get a regent, and the regent is 170 points. And that's a lot, in my opinion, at least. And there's yeah. another support here we might want to be running, and you already want an enlighter. So that's a lot. You need to pay for them. And even then, it's only mildly better than the perfect strike in better case scenarios. Of course, in like when you find like 20 man units, I'd prefer to have the other profile. So that's why I'm talking that that part isn't the best. No. But overall, the scroll is better than it used to. And you have a really good scenario character that you want to protect right now. So you might just use them for that purpose. Yeah. Which is, and look, you know. Valid. Yeah, and look, the Calagrave got some updates as well. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, the, as you said, the the ballista, the ballista is something that I don't think I've ever seen. Um, but when I went through the ballista's war scroll, I'm like, yeah, I could, I can see uh, this potentially getting on the table. So I think there's definitely, uh, as I went through it, a whole bunch of opportunities to go. Yeah, there's some things that either I don't own in my collection or some things that I've never used before. It, I think that's exciting. Yeah, there are like no dead scrolls in the book, for sure. Like maybe you know the the stupid endless that like makes a circle around your hero. That's still useless. Don't try that. But everything else is at least manageable. Like maybe the the twins are still weak, but they aren't terrible. Just too expensive. The twin the twins are too expensive for me. As much as I like them and I I want to run them, it's just that they're such a late game unit that I can't justify such a big points for. Yeah, I, that's just how I found. They are a lot of fun, though, when you just run around, teleport. They are pretty tough in combat, but only turn three onwards, and you're paying two units worth of points on a guy that doesn't do anything in the early game, which is, generally speaking, your weakest part, because the opponent has full output towards you, and when you don't have the guys to take the damage on, you crumble, right? Through one way right. or another. All right, last question. You, you you already stole my last question, which was going to be, is there any <laughs> units that you think are not good and you wouldn't bring in? And you've said no, there's no real dead units. Although we were talking a little bit earlier about how I really like the changes to the wind charger and the shooting attacks, yeah. but then you counted me and you said before we started, you're like, yeah, but it's only range 12. And I agree with you. That's a short range, so you got to really make those wind charges count. Or they're probably yeah, the really die. big thing they lost is the command ability from Helon, which kind of gave you a way to come out, shoot, and run back because it let you retreat after combat. And with speed and stuff, you could move your through the whole table. And that was kind of the way to make them safe 
right? Because all of the other shooting we have is very long ranged. So the wind chargers was the short range thing option. I'd say they have a kind of niche. If you have a Vanari focused frontline, so you have like eight casts or something, you might want to run the wind chargers over the Dawn Riders because they sometimes can do something different. And they can just sit and shoot, even though I think Dawn Riders are superior in every way otherwise. Do you think Lumineth needs to go just Battle Regiment to reduce drops, or do you think that high list Lumineth is uh, got its place? I don't like the Battle Regiment right now. I mean, not like don't like, but I think the Battle Regiment isn't that important. So Expert Conqueror is absolutely busted. It is the best battalion in the game right now by a long shot. It does a stupid amount of stuff that you cannot do with other things. Like the amount of like two guys, I, I had like a skink, you know, outscore Ironclad. I had two stone, stone guard house called like three twin souls and Sigvald recently. And it just is a lot of good stuff. And if you're running Galicians, I think you want them in Conquerors ever, always, unless you like really need the one drop. And I don't think Lumineth need it with the stone guard. And Bounty Hunters is really good also. I'm a big fan of the Dawn Riders. And with Bounty Hunters, they don't need power to do similar damage. The damage is pretty much the same with or without the power against when the Bounty, when the bounty Hunter buff is active. And that lets you just like send them and pretty much zero most Galicians in the game on the charge if you need to, or look and have like your champion kill like five guys if you need it sometimes. And uh, the artifacts are pretty good in the book right now, even though I'd say like a lot of the time you might need the spell enhancement for the lists to work. That's what I was going to say is that, you know, battle, battle regiment is great and all, but you have the tools to be able to use multiple artifacts, multiple spells. And I think um, there's definitely a good argument to be going warlord, to be going in, you know, um, uh, as you mentioned, uh, expert conquerors, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I love it as well. Um, I've moved from bounty hunters to, to be expert conquerors. Yeah, That's it's, it's way better. It's yeah, I, I do look, but it's only going to be around for a couple of months time. So who knows what happens in, yeah, in hopefully the they get rid of the bounty hunters. Then the stone guard can really just move on the middle of the field and never die. That's gonna be yeah, I, that that will will make a huge difference. So let's just get into one the... thing about the battle regiment, please, because you used to run it because you got table turn one, right? And the best thing to table turn one was always stormcast and caradron. And now that you want to actively run stone guard, they don't need spells or like multiple usages of cores because our Infantry is, we can talk about that right now with the quartz, right? The quartz make your units very, very tough while they have it, and very, very not tough when they don't have it. And Stone Guard, with the ignoring the rend, can hold their own against stuff like chariots and dragons and stuff like that. And they won't vaporize, or you won't have like one unit on like of the free darting combat, on not only one will be able to survive anything. And with the removal of Thunderbolt Volley, you won't be really using losing a lot of your backfield stuff, be it techless, be it heroes, support, stuff like that. You won't really lose a lot of it in turn one, and your frontline should hold against the alphas without the spells and stuff like that. And the army is able to hurt your opponent throughout the table if you're given the turn one or you can get to cast your spells and stuff like that. So I don't think turn one priority is that important. The big thing that happens, uh, so I'd say that battle regiment isn't mandatory towards you, and I think that bonuses that you gain for other battalions outweigh it for the purpose of the whole game now that you don't just die turn one if you don't get the priority choice and I... counter deploying is really good with this army yeah I, I would agree i would i would tend to agree being able to counter deploy your opponent there's a lot of value in that um incredible value 
Yeah. We we talked Aether Quartz, right? You started touching on, on Aether Quartz. Uh, a couple of things had changed was that allies no longer get Aether Quartz. Uh, sorry, got so that was, I mean, they never kind of did, but yeah. Th there was a bit of jank there. Yeah, the like other... in Raw they got it, but nobody allowed it for me to run a shark with no, Aether Quartz. No, no, nobody no. I took, I'm just calling it out in case there was yeah, like yeah. that that's small true, part true. in the Some world. Some people where played they... that they, they got the Quartz. That's true. Yeah. I have played one opponent who had got Trek using Aether Quartz, and I'm like, oh, I, I've <laughs> and got to first reactions, right? <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is you lost one of your Aether Quartz. You lost Magical Insight for the second spell cast. So I guess the question I've got for you is, um, what do you think of the three? And do you have Aether Quartz that you use better than others? Or are there times that you use them, you know, on average? Like, how do you how do you use this resource? Okay, so the, the fourth thing that we had, the insight, was pretty useless. So I used it like once in my life. That's because magical boost is way too good, the reroll or the plus one. So I only used the, the magical insight like once, and I was in Sire, and Sire is dead now, kind of. So Sire lets you use the second quartz in a phase, right? So you could use the insight and still have a boost later on if you needed it. And I generally say that it was never worth it to get another cast over having a reroll because Luminef was always about, I have Lambent Light, I have power that I need to get, otherwise I do nothing. And it's way more important to get those spells than to get like one more Arcane Boys or something in your turn fit, right? So I'd say that it's not that big a deal. And since Sire can't let you use multiple Quartzes, or you can do that in Iliafa, but you don't have the Quartz to sustain using more than one every phase, right? So I'd say that the best one is the Reflexes. It's the save one. So this is the one that allows your wardens to tank stuff like fulminators and other stuff because you can just on the fly get blasted to your side, right? Just pop your stone, you pop your defense, you have your cover, you have your mystic shield, you have plus three to save. You'll sustain through most of the stuff that can hit you unless it's like million attacks with bonuses and stuff like that. Hmm. So that's absolutely fantastic, right? People really get... No, nobody expects pretty much from the like they play like two games against Luminef previously and you just like out of the blue have like a warden that's incredibly tough to break for that one turn right the important thing is that they won't be able to sustain the combat in the next round but i mean your 150 point units survived a lot of damage and it or helps you boost, and it helps yeah. you it helps you respond to bounty hunters right because i think you talked about it earlier yeah. stone guard while they are tanky with a four up mortal wound safe on an objective for every point of damage is going to go through, that is going to just start deleting that Stone Guard unit very quickly. But if you can get That's them true. on cover, all that defense, Mystic Shield, throw down heightened reflexes, you'll be able to protect yourself significantly from that damage to begin with. Yeah, and with Stone Guard, it's important that you can spread out the buffs very well. With War with Vanner, you had to focus on the single unit and it got all the buffs and it was tough, but your other stuff usually just crumbled. With Stoneguard, you pretty much always need just plus one, or you are ready with an ethereal beforehand to sustain the rent-free unit. And that makes it so that you can like fight full on frontline. You don't have to like turtle and hide and like force your opponent to find one stuff with like impossible terrain between your blocks, right? Other than that, that the plus one to hit I use very rarely. I don't think I used it this book, previous book, I used it pretty much only for foxes to avoid minus one to hit. And I did it for Dawn Riders when charging into like shitter infantry, right? And just to delete them to because the horses with bounty hunters do a lot of damage and stuff All like right, that. So so heightened reflexes and magical boost are the two ones that you're you're jumping in and out of depending on the unit, the situation. Yeah, the boost is a thing that you just use 
all the time when you have to like when you don't cast a spell you just calculate which spells you need to cast and you just use it whenever you need to and this is the reason why you don't really need cogs in Lumineth, because you have like four casting units oddly or something like that you have a single quartz per phase to reroll or to plus one and you have the reroll from the shrine so you can get away with not running cogs and now that they are nerfed to 70 i don't think i'm running cogs at all i was gonna say i was gonna say cogs <laughs> went up and actually funnily enough yeah. um you had submitted me a list and because umbral spell portals changed as well yeah. uh it did mean one of your spells had to drop off that i mean that burning um, head was useless anyway it might the yeah, triumph it... might have been better but there was some funny business with it what about what about lightning reflexes? Is this something that you build around? Is this something that you're trying to pair up the synergies of of, of fighting two, two things at the same time, or is it something that just happens and it's nice to have? Or how do you use lightning reflex? So the thing is, if you play Luminous a lot of the time, you forget lightning reactions. Is a thing you think that that's how the game works, right? And I played like some lizards recently, and I used to use lightning reflexes every single time. And my opponent had to remind me I'm not playing Luminous. That was terrible. And honestly, the thing is fantastic. Obviously, the big thing it allows is you can safely charge two units, right? Because you strike first with those units, you don't lose any output, don't get more damage from your opponent surviving. And this is absolutely fantastic. It also means that um, you can fight like very wide battles effectively, at least somewhat effectively, because we aren't that great at it. And this means that like you can charge your Avalnor with your Alfarian and they both strike, or you can charge two units into something, which is big against like Archaeons and stuff like that. It's really hard to one shot, right? And you get a lot of your damage through both units, and none of them are get weaker because they got struck back. And I'd say it's it's more of a way of life, and you all it's like you just always use it. It's it, there's nothing bad about it. It's really good. It works. You shouldn't forget it. And I don't think it like makes some place that's viable because Luminef are now more combat focused, and it's just great to have more units attacking at the same time. Do you do you look at that and try to charge in waves of two? Like when you go for up for yeah, a charge, and let's say, no, 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 maybe it's not obvious. Like let's say this, okay, let's so. say you've got three units that you could charge with. Would you charge all three, uh, and knowing that your opponent would strike you, and or would you hold one of those um, units back and go in with two and use lightning reflex? Like how do you think about those types of things? So generally speaking, when I need to charge three units into my opponent, and like it's not like import extremely important towards winning and i don't make one of the shirts i will not reroll it i'll make start with the most important one if i make it and i still have a reroll and i fail one of the less important ones and i messed the, made the other two i will not reroll that can that charge right from the command point i mean and generally speaking i'll say that with it's more important to cut back your losses than inflict the pain on others because your damage isn't fantastic and mm. now with stone guard you will be sitting a lot of the time on the point trying to survive and to get the scoring up and like slowly grind your opponent and a single combat phase from your unit shouldn't really change the outcome of a grind all that much that of course changes you need to get an objective of a charge right you of course we roll it of course take the damage yeah. and you enjoy uh, it obviously like if your battle tactic was kill this certain unit or if yeah. it was you've got to you've got to charge to cap and get the objective otherwise your opponent like yeah obviously that put that to the side but you're thinking about really as waves when when possible yeah, and I usually play more defensive than a lot of people I see, so I charge less than others. So it's very rare I charge with three units anyway. Yeah. But um, it makes it way more fluid to just always have the two. And your opponent yeah, it... is sometimes triggered by it. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> uh, you, 
you get so excited you're like okay you've you've attacked so yeah. i'm gonna go now you're like no 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 no. i've still got a second <laughs> unit you're like damn it but it allows oh, you yeah, to charge in with a unit and a hero it allows you to charge in multiple units it allows you to do so much and really reduce the amount of threats coming back to you yeah the only thing you need to remember as a player of lumineth is that when you use the ability you have to nominate units before you fight so sometimes you have to nominate both units that fight a single unit because you need it dead before it strikes and you can just kill it with one and then mid time say that the other unit will fight. You can do that, right? You have to declare both. That's important. What are the command traits? So there was a whole bunch of changes and, you know, I think some of them got reduced. Some of the things got lost. Do you have any favorite enhancement command traits that you would call out as ones that you would always use or you'd highly recommend? So I think the best one is unyielding toughness for the stone mage. And you, of course, take it if you run Stone Guard and if you run Stone Mage General. However, it's incredibly clunky to use. It's really, really hard to use it well. And like, it's pretty much impossible to get while charging. You really need to like run your Stone Mage forward, then you charge like three inches away directly with a command point, then you charge your Stone Guard, and then you still need to move, position your Stone Guard in a way so that your opponent can just pile in and wreck your Stone Mage. It's really tough to use in that sense when you play aggressively. However, if you just move on a point and try to survive, it's pretty good. It still limits the surface that you can put your stone guard in. So that's why I'm not particularly a fan of 15s, because you can pretty much never get the, the ability of this command trait. And uh, I'd say that if you want to play on the correct level, you want the toughness. However, it's yeah. really, really hard to use. And it makes so that your stone mesh becomes incredibly important for your playstyle because he casts the buff for your guys, he gives you the trade, he gives you the stance in the brand buff, and it makes so that your opponents can really want... It's sniping him really hurts, right, if you use it. So if you find yourself not really having your stomach survive, you can go for Enduring, and you just stick her to Holy Within 12 of the Stone Guard, use your Talisman, use your stance, and have her not die. You don't get the toughness, but it's... At least your stalemate doesn't die, and that's still a big thing that happens. And I think the toughness is important because, like, bounty hunters wreck us, right? They wreck the stone guard, you take a lot of damage, and like having one more wound is just a lot of survivability that you can get. And, I, I, want you, I want you to yeah. pause for a second. I, I want you to sure. fast forward three months from now, and let's assume bounty hunters is not here, right? Because we're in a new yeah. general's handbook. Do you think unyielding toughness is still um, the best choice? Yeah, I think so. So three months forward, every single guy who plays with this will be better at managing the aura because that's a really, really hard part about this ability. And without bounty hunters, you might sometimes your game plan be just move shove onto the objective and just sit your stone mage behind and just cast the buff and you have like almost impossible to die for your block. Against some armies, it will be impossible to die. And I still think that like it just adds you so much survivability. It's just really important for you to not try to overextend your stone mage to having like two units holy within six of her. Because yeah. like so because you want if you lose that one, you will buff the other one. But that's really tough. I think you just want to skip a turn, just run her up to the other stuff because she's still faster than them. She's six move. You can just speed I her. And as you said as well, like it does put a target on the stone mage's head. Uh, it's not your, um, it's not. Yeah, she already has a not... big target on her head. Yeah, correct. So like, if you start over, over like a, a smart unit, especially one who has a lot of shooting, is going to go for that stone mage pretty quickly. Um, 
look, you know, like what about from some of the others? Like, do you have a favorite? Let's say yeah, from, yeah. The Vinari, from the Venari. Uh, yeah. Sure, the Venari one, you just take Consummate Warrior. Like, if you have a Venari General, it's your Lord Regent. I, I don't think you ever make your Banner Blade your General. If you have a General that's Venari, it's, it's a Lord Regent, right? So you want Consummate Warrior because she has an excellent save. And you just reroll one of those saves. You just don't bother about anything else, pretty much. Sometimes you roll a hit, I guess, right? But you just don't want her to be sniped by like a cannonball from a, a from a Cardon player who just shoots you with a six damage straight shot, and you just fail a free up, and you don't want her to die. So I think that's the best from Vanari. I don't For mind. Scenario, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind Grand Strategist actually. Like when I look at Grand Strategist, I'm like, there's some there's some good. Why are you laughing? What are you, what are you laughing at? Uh, the Grand Strategist because it's like one command point per game. Meaning per game. You you you, you have ten heroic actions, right? You, I'd say you do heroic leadership like six times out of ten, and you get plus one to the roll. So only one time you roll a free, so it's one command point more throughout the game. Okay. And I right. don't think that's good for a command trait. I'd prefer Almighty Blow and just meme stuff out of the game, right? I suppose Consummate Warriors once per term. It's not a once per game ability. So yeah, I mean, you could say, I could, you could argue that. Uh, it I just guess, means that I, your hero doesn't die. I think that's way better than getting. A, I, I, I generally speaking, undervalue command points. I think they are not that fantastic. I just use them for defense pretty much only. Well, I guess it depends on how CP hungry your army's going to be. Yeah, that's I correct. That's the key, that's, that's like the key a, right? Yeah, if you want to all out attack a lot and use command points, strategy is not terrible, I guess. Yeah, and if you're yeah, all no, freeze, I, it's really good. I I see the argument because you're right. Like it's relying on you using heroic action to be going for the CP as opposed yeah. to a heal or an unbind or something else. So, um, I I can see the argument there. Yeah, for the scenario, I'd say Lord Master is the one you want. Uh, you want this on your lighter if you have her, and. You do it with for the purpose of not running the spell enhancement. So this is if you want an artifact more, right? You can like not even like the the stone guard lists. You might not want the stone mage general. You might want it on an enlighter, and she has a lore master, so you can have all the speed, ethereal, and overwhelming hits. All three spells you can double up, and you or you just give her the eclipse or protection or something, so that you get more spells in when you have like three or four casters only. It's a big problem in my opinion. I'm also spoiled. I also cast a lot of these spells all the time. And this lets you like get an artifact. It's more, more the lore master is, in my opinion, more of a you don't you get an additional artifact in the list for the price of a command trait, because you get more more spells and you don't have to spend your enhancement on getting more spells for your units, to get the full you know fan of spells in your list. And that's how well, I would say about it. It will allow you to do battle regiment and still get a couple of extra spells. Or yeah, sure. as also. you as you said, you could be taking your warlord and taking an extra artifact and still getting extra spells. So uh, I, I do like the flexibility there. Yeah, like the juggling of enhancements. I, I'm not yet certain on the way I want to personally run it. I personally try the list with the the stuff that I think is requires more like play thought into to check how it works right now but lore master might as well be the best trait on this screen right and don't look at the wind mage enhancements they don't matter why 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 is that i i felt the same by the way i'm looking at like i i struggled i really struggled i thought maybe oh actually no i think grand wind rider was probably yeah if you run the full the kangaroos sure go for grand wind rider it's pretty good then it's really funny at least when you have like there is no more like cramming your 15 kangaroos next to a tiny wind mage to get the buff because they can't move over units right without the buff from the wind mage so this is pretty big to like jump around and like snipe heroes and do stuff like that 
but like Swift is terrible. It does nothing. The wind majority has 16 move, and you have speed in the in the sorry in your arsenal to use right if you need your wind mage to move somewhere really fast. And the defying champion is a single reroll. It's funny. It's it is the old healing command trait. Yeah, it, I mean you get uh, three rerolls total, right? But one for each stive. Yeah. It's the old Helon trade, so you remember it from that. It was a pretty good trade, but it was mandatory back then, right? And I don't think the more important part is you don't want your mid mage as your general all at all. Uh, yeah, unless you're obviously going full, you know, win Unless you type. make the build for it, right? But there is no reason outside of that build to go for a win main general, is what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, 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 no apologies. I think, I think you know, if you were going to go, that would be your option. But yes, if you were trying to build the most competitive build, you're probably not going to center yourself around the win mage because... And again, folks, if we, if you are listening to this and you're obsessed with your winch people and you love your you love your uh, wind charges and you know it's all about making Goku or something awesome, but if you're looking at like obviously the most competitive build, then maybe it's not the wind mage being your general. Um, speaking, uh, we talked earlier about artifacts. Uh, what are your favorite artifacts from the three options? Let's start with Vanari. Vanari. I don't think any of these artifacts are worth running. You just slap an Arcane Tomb if you want an artifact on the Vanari hero. Why? None of these are So, Ciari Pommel gives you an extra Aether Quartz, and I generally think that's not worth enhancement. Like, I wouldn't ever try to actively get a second artifact for the purposes of getting an extra Aether Quartz on my Regent, right? And the Regent with two casts is actually pretty good because you always get the power and the other thing. Like, more spells is good for Luminef, right? You get the versatility, the stuff like that, more easier way to run. And the spells, you don't have to sacrifice, like, when you have, like, five units and all of them have a different spell, you don't have to actively sacrifice one of them to cast an endless spell. You can have the guy with two casts do it for you, right? So that's great. Run and charge is fine now, especially since the Regent is now pretty good at combat. Like she, she actually does the damage now. And this is fine, but I have rarely found myself charging with her outside of the Fox list. So essentially what I mean is she's still 14-inch move. Yeah. She's still really good at the, at the moving part. And you you would rather allocate resources towards helping your other stuff, like through more speed of fishes, through more teleports and stuff like that or getting more casts towards them. And like run and charge on a hero that's like for the main, more of most of the game just sits in the back and casts greater power of Hish is not that fantastic. Yeah, and you also you, the you don't have the problem of, yeah. I was just going to say, you don't have the offensive uh, hero. You don't have the Radica, the beast Lord who wants to get into your face through Venari. So it's not yeah, like you have you need a lot of good offensive heroes, but they are unique. So yeah. you can't slap it on them. And Waystone is just terrible. I, I run Alumnia a lot on the old book, and I used it never, ever. Why? Why don't you I mean, I had any... fast heroes. That's kind of the problem, right? I had a Regent and a Wind Mage, so I just slapped it in the Regent, and I used it once to teleport over an impossible terrain. And like with fast heroes, you this is like 13 inches teleport, so it was slower than your move most of the time. And it just didn't do much. It, could be useful with like an enlighter, so or uh, it's Vanari only, so doesn't matter. You could slap it on a on a, the banner guy, and uh, I uh, guess you can move. So this is a way to get like a third speed for a banner guy if you want him behind and, your stone guard. And that was literally what I was going to suggest, and I can see Jonathan in the chats made the same comment: is it could be a way to reposition your banner 
lord blade, banner guy and a blade i yeah, was a banner he yeah. move the banner blade and and to be in within ranges and buffs and things like that as the game's progressing but uh from yeah, what i'm hearing from you your build sentinels it would have been good with sentinels with techless what i used a lot of the time in the previous book is like teleport one unit of sentinels speed the other run six techless and you just move all of your stuff up and you could teleport a hero with them so that could be useful, but I think you more of it more of the time you just want to move and fight your opponent, and your support hero just sits behind your line, and your front line is so slow that they don't need buffs to do so, right? And there's there's nothing wrong with just running your banner blade, and that's like nine inches average movement, so that's like you got four more from this, and I just and it's once per game, and it's an artifact, so you actively you pay something to have this, right? It's not a free thing that you get. Uh, so I'd generally say, if you want a Vannery artifact, just go for Arcane Tome because it works very well with the, how the army functions, because you get more yeah. spells and spells are good. And Arcane Tome is over, obviously really, really good. It's probably the best it's artifact in the game, it's, right? It's so good. What about your scenario? I know, I know talking to some people this morning, actually, they were mentioning, they're like, oh, I want to build a list around the Rune of Senthoi. Like, is there, a, <laughs> is there a good competitive list around Senthoi? So I guess... Talk scenario specifically Runa Senthoi, but also like Silver Wand. I see a lot of people talk about Yeah, yeah, Silver I'll begin with the rune. Sure. All right. So I think the rune has a problem that scenario aren't that good, essentially. Like your first scenario in lighter is fantastic, but uh, the other aren't the others aren't that good. Like the way I think about scenario is like you, you buy a small hero that's like that costs two hundred odd points. He has no wounds, no damage output, no impact on the game. The only thing he has is his cast. And the Dawn Riders also bring you the cast. You pay 20 points more, but you get a really fast unit for that, a really tough unit if you need it. That screens very well, still casts the spell you need to cast. The only thing it doesn't have is access to command traits, artifacts, and the deep fingers. So you don't get deep fingers on them, but you get everything else that makes them a unit that's actually useful in the game. That it's way faster, has more impact, and the War Scroll spells from the, the scenario aren't that fantastic, right? The Darkness of the Soul is not that good. I used to run a Cavalier, I used to not cast it pretty much ever. And because, like, voice is gone, and yeah. there is a lot of, like, the, the things that made it obnoxious are gone, so Darkness isn't that good. Your Cavalier is just a 110-point caster that you sometimes cram into a list to get one more unit in. And she lets you manage your bravery by a little, but not much. And she just is a caster with the fingers, which is what she is, right? And that's, I don't think, is that great for 110 points because you can just buy Dawn Riders or Sentinels or Wardens for that matter, even though I'm a fan of the Dawn Riders. And the rune actively needs you to have more scenario to use it well. It is really funny when you run it and you just absolutely counter this with plus four to unbind, fast learner, triple unbind, reroll to rerolls. It's really funny if you do so. I don't think it's that good because it forces you to take units that aren't great. And it's a niche thing to just have plus four to unbind because like Fire Slayers, Nurgle, stuff like that pretty much never or never cast spells at all. And that's very niche. It is really funny though. I would like to see like an Enlighter with three unbinds rerolling plus four, just shutting down someone like Zine. I, I, I guess when you think about it, like if you're going to have what, if you want to make this work, you want to have what, two units supporting the the hero, the scenario hero. And that combination yeah. is probably costing you what five hundred points approximately. It's probably you know, four hundred, but still. Yeah, four five hundred points. You know, just somewhere between the hero and the two two units. Yeah. So, and and you're keeping them in that really tight bubble of within six inches of the bearer. So, I guess, especially in this particular general's handbook where we have six, even eight objectives on the table, you know, you, you're concentrating a lot of your power in 
one specific area. So and also, sometimes... if you have four scenarios, just take Teclis instead. He just does everything better than they do for mild point increase. So Silver Wand is just another Arcane Tomb. You run it if you want it. It's good for team events, so some of your friends can run an Arcane Tomb and just go for a Silver Wand. Uh, it's not busted on an Enlighter because she can only use the rune once for the double casting spells. If she could have done it more times, she would have busted. And the Phoenix Stone is funny. So the Phoenix Stone is interesting. I personally, I am personally running it right now in the lists I'm playing because I want to see how it does. The I don't think it's. I think the more important part is that your opponent will try less to kill your hero. Like this, As I've said, the Stone Mage is incredibly important for Stone Guard. Or if you have a hero that's incredibly important to support your other stuff, and you have a Phoenix Stone to support them. It's not necessarily just for Teclis for a Valanor, but I think more of a way to protect your Stone Mage, because Blade Lords can protect non-scenario heroes, right? So this gives you a way to just 3+, plus bring it back. It's D3 plus 1 wounds. It's actually pretty hard to kill sometimes afterwards, right? Because you very rarely give an opening for more than one unit to kill your hero. So if that one unit kills your hero, you bring it back with a Phoenix Stone, they are invincible for the end of the turn. Like, you know, like virtually invincible because nothing can hit them. And it's still on a free app. It's still terrible at that, right? Yeah, it's a so... once per game. It's a once per game it happens two out of three times. And does it happen at the time that you need it? Uh, while I'm talking, I just want to take the opportunity to call out a comment. I just had someone clarify. Thank you, Poon, um, for clarifying with this when we were talking earlier I'm about the pretty Enlightener. sure it's not because it's allocated, not suffered on the scroll All of right. the Enlighter. All right, we'll have, we'll have to check the rules. Just uh, obviously, on midstream is literally not the time to be checking in on particular <laughs> rules, but um, just making sure that if you are bouncing a lot of mortal wounds, you can or yeah, just what the, post post video clarification team. Anyway, sure. wind mage, <laughs> we're forever looking at books and like that's not very interesting content, but good good potential flag. Um, wind mage, uh, any so, particular artifact there you like? Not really. So the. When that's fun, it's really hard to use. It's really, really, really hard to use. You, you need your stone mage to be in combat in your turn at the beginning of your movement, and you need him alive there. And that's not going to happen often. And even if it will, I I mean, it might be fun into, because you need to have him like holy within three of your screen, right? So you put him so that when opponent charges your screen, they are always in combat with the wind mage, and then they can hit him, and then you buffet them back. And that's really funny if like slaves get meta, right? And you have like only blocks of warriors moving. You might want to hide the wind mage behind your front line of stone guard and just like get them off, right? But I don't think that's that good because Luminate don't have really any charge bonuses, right? And if you get charge you the odds are your opponent still is going to be on the objective so you might not throw them onto the objective at all and that's not going to be as good still i mean it's of course incredibly powerful if you just like make a unit yeah yeah okay so this might be wrong okay guys i'll look into it later the, yeah the, the I'm just, like, just 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 check into the enlightener and how the spell works with taking wounds i'm but... pretty sure you can just left right 20 but we might check it later check, check the tanks uh, after this. all good all yeah. right the windstone is really not great as an artifact. It's a good thing to do two mortals, but two mortals aren't worth an artifact. And the Aspergillum is good for similar reasons to Windblast Fan. So you just put him behind your screen, within three, you just pop it. The charging unit gets minus one to hit and wound. That's the thing to get you minus one to hit to the alert that you don't have that Vanari do, right? That's really important rule. So it's it's the Aspergillum is pretty much the best thing I, in my opinion. Although uh, Windblast Fun can be fun if you build for it. 
I agree, but I don't like that both the wind blast fan and the aspergillum yeah. both need you to be within three inches. I think being within yeah. three is too restrictive and it makes me nervous. Yeah, you, the, the wind mage is really easy to die. Like, yeah. it's not a stone mage that at least has a four up save, ignores ran, so it's easily go to free up. They die a lot if your opponent looks at them. So it's really hard to use these two. And it just gets tough and you get cluttered in your main line and you don't want to stack as much also on some objectives. Some, sorry, some battle plans. And for the Stone Mage, it's the Molten Talisman. You always take the Molten Talisman if you're running Alarif. It's incredibly good. We've talked about it. And it also synergizes with Unyielding Toughness in a sense. The point is you can't charge. So I talked already about running your Stone Mage forward to give you the buff after the charge. That's partly because the Molten Talisman doesn't work if you don't charge. If you charge, I'm sorry. What about the Heartstone Amulet getting the four-up Mortal Wound save? So, as I have been talking about Unyielding Toughness previously and the plus three wound trait, if you find your Stone Mage dying a lot to pretty much exclusively Skaven, to Warp Lightning Cannons, and you have an issue with that, with losing your Stone Mage to Mortal Wounds, sure, run the Heartstone Amulet. If you run a second Stone Mage, which might be needed, the Hearthstone Amulet will be good for them, right? Because losing it is way worse than not getting the Molten Talisman. Even though if you're running a Valinor, you always take the Molten Talisman, right? Because he only wounds on a three. And generally speaking, plus one to wounds is an incredibly powerful buff and hitting and wounding twos and twos is just great in combat. By the way, the I agree with you. Terrible. Don't take it. I I agree with you. I think if that was the Heartstone Amulet was a four-up flat ward and like wounds and mortal wounds, I'd be a buyer. But because it's only mortal wounds, it makes me a little nervous. And you're right. I, I do believe the Molten Talisman is the number one choice from the Stone Mage side. Yeah, sorry. I was talking only about Skaven Cannons. If you die to spells too, right? You want the Hearthstone Amulet. However, Anywhere I usually play with Techlist, so I never count dying to spells in because of the spell ignores and the unbinds and stuff like that. But if it's more important to have your Stone Mage alive. So if you play a lot with the artifacts that increase your power by a lot, and you lose your Stone Mages, you want to swap out to the defensive options you have in the book. Because then surviving is more important than having more buffs, which is pretty obvious, I think. And the Hammer is terrible. I think I've said it's terrible. They just never take Magic Hammer. <laughs> I don't know why it's even an artifact still, right? I mean, it was an artifact previously, but like they subbed one for Talisman. So they could have done something interesting with it. I don't know, maybe above to cows or something like a heel. Yeah, like it's they an interesting. Move the okay. As I say, it's an interesting artifact, but it's not that interesting. If I had like seven artifacts to choose from, I might pack it a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, maybe sometimes. There's probably probably a couple of artifacts that you choose well before that particular one. It's yeah, fun, but it's just problem like with all the artifacts. It's one extra mortal wound. Yeah, like sometimes when you cast the bolt, which you don't want to do. How do you pick your spells when you're looking at your spell law and you're picking choices? And at the moment, Teclas doesn't know them all. There might be a world where Teclas will get this back and hopefully fingers crossed that world is, is not far away, but let's assume yeah. that we need to go start picking spells. Are there ones that stand out for you more than others, whether it's either combinations with a particular caster and the spell or ones that are just better than others. So you pretty much always want the entire root of fish in your list. Except for the, the flare. The flare isn't that good. It used to be funny against like Seraphon. You would get a Lord Seeker forward, cast it on a Slan, and then you might get your powers in the back line, right? Because Slan was terrible for us. But now it no longer 
like this, this sorry, no longer subtracts from the dispels or unbinds. So I don't think that's good. It's a really weak anti-hard spell that adds as a, like, if you failed to dispel the purple sun, you can try again, right? And it casts an innate and has no range. So I think it's, it's generally speaking, a bad spell. I've pretty much cast like twice in my life, even in the previous incarnation. Other spells are extremely good. All the other five are good, and I think you want them through one way or the other in your list. Generally speaking, I'd say the speed is the best one, and you just always want double move, especially now when you want to run Alarif and they are incredibly slow, and you want your Enlighter to cast your speed. To get a free up chance to get move your other unit, then you can have two units moving forward, you can charge with both, you can use your reflexes to the most of their possibility ability, right? The Blessing is less good now. Now, uh, okay, it's less good when you run Alarif, it's incredibly important if you run Vanari, you want to cast it every single time. When you have two of your frontline units, one of them needs to have the Mystic Shield, the other one needs to have the Ethereal Blessing. And then they can tank for most of the stuff that the opponent can throw at them. If the meta goes to like beasts somehow, buffing even more, or like Gatebreakers running everywhere, you might need to have your Enlighter with your Ethereal Blessing to double cast it, even on Stone Guard. That's a possibility that can happen, given the meta change, right? Protection of Hish is really good. You want to have it on a hero, preferably. That's next to Blade Lords, so probably your Enlighter or whatever else your hero is, so that she doesn't die if you're not running Techless. If you have Techless, you have the protection of Techless, it's a superior spell to this. This really, you want this if you like play into like the pit fights, into like Dragon Ogres and stuff. This is a five up ward into normal attacks for your units. It buffs them by a lot, makes them die way less. It also gives you mortal wound protection for stuff that's not Alarif because they have the four up most sometimes, right? They have the four up against mortals. And Eclipse is Eclipse. You gen I would say you want it on one unit in your army if you don't run Techless and you might not be casting it every single turn because it is cast on a nine. And you just, when you have like, when you're given the first turn, for example, and you just like have your unit, for instance, like your Sentinels in the backyard, and you don't want to move forward because you're playing Iron Jaws and stuff, you just throw your Eclipse, you get it, it's fantastic, you don't get it, it's not the end of the world. You can't, it's like making a 9 in charge out of Deep Strike, right? It doesn't happen every single time, even with rerolls. And I, yeah? No, I was just going to say, Total Eclipse is punishing, especially especially there's a lot of armies that are cp hungry and they want to be able to re-roll charges they want to be able to all out attack and all at defense so forcing your opponent to spend two command points at once you start making your opponent ask some really tough questions and i guess that's the the power of that and you know there's some really great utility there whether it's you know overwhelming heat like there's just yeah the heat is great the, you can the, very effectively run the jaws with it if you want to you just you can do the overwhelming hit to have the move, then you can do the stone mage scroll spell to have it again, and you can then run the jaws through a through a unit that has only a quarter of its original move, and that works very well. Also, what about from what about the other two? So you got your um, like howling gale for me was one that I really enjoyed. Yeah, howling gale is fantastic. Uh, I when I had a wind mage, I always had vortex on it because teleporting is good, and Gale is also hard to use with a Wind Mage because you need to be within 12. So it also kind of needs to be somewhere in the front lines to use on the enemy. It is incredibly powerful when you get it, obviously. It is on an 8 now, so it's not... Overall, the lore is very hard to cast, right? With the Vortex on an 8 and the Gale on an 8. Overall, Luminous spells have like the, the higher end of the casting values they are given. And with Techless, I used to cast a lot of Gales overall to prevent redeploys and unleash health. 
it's very important, or you can just spell portal a howling gale onto a mega boss on the Mokrasha so that not everything moves towards you with mighty destroyers. There's a lot of uses for that, but with a wind mage, I'll just go for a vortex. And hitting Zephyr is pretty much only useful if you have the techless thing and he has all the spells. And then just if he gets wounded, you just heal him up with this and the recovery if you need to. But other than that, I don't really like the the the, the lore. Lore is really good, but it's really hard to cast. Is what I'm trying to say. You talked earlier on the artifacts about your you weren't really a big fan of the teleporty 13 inch artifact is it because you've got transporting vortex or you just don't find generally the artifact um, valuable because i can see like there's no need to have both the teleport from the artifact and a teleport spell double teleport is probably a bit too much so the waystone isn't the true teleport waystone is restricted to only 13 inches away from where you started and yep. transporting vortex is the true teleport for the whole field and that's a way different thing and also, you can just teleport the unit to the tactics with it. With tactics, it's very reliable because you autocast it, your opponent has to unbind it. And it's really important you, you just. Uh, is that me or is that my guest dropping out? If you guys can hear me, just let me know. Um, so I'm going to assume that I'm, I'm, I'm still live. So we'll just keep going in. Cuba uh, will rejoin us when uh he has a second who knows what happened there um yeah you've got a couple of other interesting uh, yeah cool it was the guest <laughs> freaked out for a second that it was my internet freaking out that you know like <laughs> we'll never know what's really important i'll just go back to the conversation um yeah absolutely cool Phew. thanks thanks folks I uh, freaked out that was my internet. You know what Australia is like. Um, you, you're right, like Obsidian, you're, you're 100% right. You know, you've got a little bit of a punishment going on with the fact that the Apricots uh, and Zytrek getting a whole bunch of extra um, extra spell boosts and things like that. Uh, just making sure he's not joining on. Yep, that's <laughs> all good. The, the Skaven indeed have halted the, the Lumineth tactics. So uh, what, what is the chat thinking while I just stall for time for a second and wait for the guests to return? Um, so Obsidian, you were mentioning earlier the casting values being a punishment. Absolutely, especially getting the plus one to, to casting or getting the reroll to cast. And I guess looking at that, if you're not going to go techless, you're not going to – because techless has got some crazy – crazy spell casting abilities and ranges and things like that. So if you haven't got techless, you've really got to start looking at some of those figures and start with those boosts and even looking for arcane terrain as well. So um, what else has the chat said? And and yes, to, to this conversation earlier about the Enlightener, uh, we do need to just check. Uh, he's just rejoining. Be back in a second, folks. Oh, he's, he's getting his device set up. Whoop. And we're Chance. back. We good? Lost talking circles. I didn't know I crashed. I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. How so long was it? Said, was that's it all right. Long? Not long enough. I just I just okay. bad mouthed you and said that. I'm sorry good. for that. That's my bad. All good, my friend. Let's start a re let's start a fresh. Like we we talked the you other. You talked spells. about the mountain lore, right? Uh no. I was I was just stalling for you time. You want to talk about? It? We can skip it. Let's it do it. Now nah, let's do it. What do you think? Okay. So. You want the power for Stone Guard on your Stone Mage if you run Stone Guard. And that's also fantastic because Techless can cast it if you need it to. And Fissure is good now because, like, so when you run a Stone Mage, you want Stoicism on it always. And if you have a spell enhancement, I think you want Fissure because Fissure got its range doubled. It's now 18 inches range. 
So was it shorter range, really was it? It was nine inches back then. It was a nine inch line. So I, I, I cast it a lot because you just don't have the damage sometimes because you cast your storm and it does too little damage and you don't have that much damage list. You want to find any spell that does mortals at all. And Fissure is good for that. You can sometimes get the doubles. And the funny thing is you can go for the Thiever the, from the Enlighter and then Fissure through it to do the mortals twice if it's in a line of enemy you want to hit. And that's why I had for a second the burning head because it hits everything. So I could also move it, hit the lighter and the target and do 2d3 mortals to the opponent, right? So there is some mild synergy here. If you really need the damage and you can't find it. And Vertigo is, it's, I guess you sometimes throw it. It got buffed because it's not Holy Within, it's just within 18 for your opponent. But it's not the best thing ever because it doesn't work on combat like Darkness. And the bravery is generally speaking rather high for units that you would want to use it on. Otherwise, you want to just do mortal wounds and finish something. I mean, you say that, but like Mega Gargants are going to be running around again soon. But they're like bravery board. eight, right? Uh, I think most of them are bravery seven, except for the new Beast Smasher, which is an eight, and then the Priest okay. is a nine. But your Gatebreaker and your Kraken Eater and your War Stomper, I think, are sevens, right? So 2d6, stopping them from moving, running, retreating, and charging. Or I mean, piling in doesn't matter. They're mostly range two or range three. But stopping a Gargant from moving, especially early on, um, could be punishing. Yeah, it is really good if you roll an eight. Uh, that's correct. Also, the very important thing about the Vertigo, it works on runs and retreats now. It didn't used to, so your opponent could just run away and not take the test. It was really stupid. And the thing that changed here is that did no, you, the Alighter can't this... cast Fissure. I, mean, I, I said that you can cast Spirit Tether on an opponent unit, and you have it in line with the Enlighter, and your Fissure hits your Enlighter, and she does the mortals to that unit also. You get that? Right. Okay, yeah. so you you weren't you weren't saying the enlightener was casting. You were saying yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I I say a lot of stuff very fast, so I forget words often. I'm sorry. It's it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, look, all three of those um, Alarith spell laws are, are great. I think all three of those are They're okay. Have, uh, I mean, they've got they've Rest got they've got play. They've, they've got play. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. They're useful. Voice of the mountain. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, it was great. It's not. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Where, where where do you see your six uh, uh, great nations? Are you? I mean, you've talked a lot about your metrica, and obviously we've talked we've talked a lot about stone guard. But and your metrica is great. I want to put it to the side for a second. If I don't play sure. your metrica and I don't play stone guard, um, where do you think the other five are? Do you think there are some better than others? Um, like Helon, like do you see value in Helon? I'm not a big fan of Helon. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. So Helon is funny. You have the sh the shotgun sentinels. It's it's pretty funny if you just speed them up and they should take two shots and then you charge. So you have effectively three shots each because they do mortals in combat now. But and you get the kangaroo buff, right? I think the output of a kangaroo is terrible outside of Helon. I think we kind of touched on that. They do no damage whatsoever, pretty much. If in Helon they get fifty percent boost if you get close. The thing that's terrible also is your opponent can really play out of this range and you don't get the bonus, so it's not that good. It, of course, buffs your, buff your Unleash Hell, which is cool and good, stuff like that. Um, but I'm not really a fan. I don't think like Kangaroo armies can work because they are squishy as all hell. They have no minus one to hit. They have five up save. They're, if you run a lot of them, you're probably not running Techers because you can sustain aggressive combat armies because you'll just die. Mm -hmm. And if you move forward and you start shooting, you're very close to your opponent. You don't have the command tree that used to be part of Helon to run away, and you just die is how I feel about it. 
it might be a lot of damage to just like really like wreck like very weak armies like weak i mean like low wound like zinch stuff it might be good to like wreck zinch and stuff like that i am not a fan towards most opponents though for helon and i don't think that the shotgun sentinels work well because of this I think it's, because yeah, it's, like you don't have a sub faction for the most part of your game if you invest in sentinels only for the purposes of this rule right and like others are pretty good still it's short it's short range helon i think for me like when i look at this i think alumnia and zytrek and Yometrica are probably the three strongest um alumnia may be less so at the moment with expert conquerors but again yeah. moving to a world a couple of a couple of months from now when expert conquerors isn't in the game i can see alumnia being very popular um to to be scoring more on the objective but right yeah, now with expert conquerors it's hard to it's it's hard to to choose yeah, alumnia the exact point also it's locked to vanari so it won't work on stone guard which is important to note and it doesn't seem like it works on object on the terrain for the purpose of the secret uh yeah it's only for an objective so you won't outscore your opponent on the desecrate the terrain tactic even though it's not going to be in the game probably then but it's important for now at least i like sire a lot uh even though it's massacred from what it used to be I still think Sire is good because, as I have said, your Vanari units only as tough as long as it has its cores and can use it. And if you have two, your frontline units that you want, like Reinforced Blade Lords or stuff like that, will hold longer. And you can pop the magical boost on your Dawn Riders or stuff or Vanari units and still have that cores for the save when you need it. I don't think it's good now. I've, I would run it only with exactly Blade Lords because they don't cast spells, for which Zytrek is better for that, right? And if you have like only Warden, Sentinel, Stone Riders, you want Zytrek for the bonuses to casting. Sire only works on units. Sire is really good for units that I that are just like um, that don't cast but need the cores to survive. So I think that's pretty much Blade Lords. And Ilya is terrible. Would you say like uh, Obsidian kind of making a, a call for yeah. a sec? I, I want to I call that part of what he said is. Would you would you agree that you're a bit more of a defensive style player? As yeah, opposed I am. To more I of an certainly am. That's correct. Cause... Everybody laughs at me that I can't charge my opponent. <laughs> because, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's actually really funny. Uh, that is correct that you can move your Dawn Riders and count for 10. That's really good. However, I just, right now, I think you run Imetrica, and I run Dawn Riders in every single list I have ever put in this book. And I still would prefer to have Imetrica with my Stone Guard than having my Dawn Riders just count for two. Because ignoring Rend 1 is not good at all, because there's a lot of Rend 2 in the game right now. Most of the stuff that hits you is rent too. That's actually dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Which is why you why you seem to be leaning to more towards your metrica than mm -hmm. a bit more of the aggressive play. Yeah. So yeah. like, and Eliafa is terrible. Like Eliafa is good if you have sire more quartz. If you don't have more quartz, you will run out of quartz to use this ability pretty much at all. If if you were going to build a bit more of an aggressive type of build. Would that be into things more like Avlanor and the Spirit of the Mountain, things like Dawn Riders? Which one? Which subfaction? Oh, I don't. I'm, it's more of a general comment. Like if you oh, were, well, you say that you, any faction is better if you go aggressive. That's what you yeah, mean. If, well, yeah. Like if if you were going to play a bit more okay. of an aggressive, if we're playing in worlds, and I said I I want you to play aggressive, I need you to be the aggressor in our team. Mm -hmm. How would you think about that in Lumineth? So I would say that if you want. The cows and the other, if you have to run the metrica, like no matter what playstyle you want to use them with, you have to run that. 
and Iliafa is never good, right? Yeah, that's correct. And for like the, the, the subfactions don't really give you like bonuses that you can say are like more tangible for defense or offense. Like the point is, if you're aggressive, you're still getting hit back. And without Imetrica, Alari died to rent to like nothing, like Vanari, like more than Vanari because no shining company. And like if you run a lot of spells, you of course want Zytrek, right? As I've said, if you run like mostly Vanari, like 10 casts per turn, no techless, you want Zytrek because plus one is a game changer for that. And it also works for second cast. So it used to be only the first cast you did. So your Enlighter will get plus one to both of their casts and any Arcane Tomb Wizard you had, right? So that's pretty good for that. And Alumnia is funny with Dawn Riders, as someone has commented previously. I'm sorry, I don't know the names. And it works well for that, for yoinking points and stuff like that. I just don't like yoinking points in this faction as much because you like, so essentially if you yoink a point with Dawn Riders, they are like somewhere in Africa off outside of your army and they will die. But I play more castles. So yeah. that might be yeah. a me thing than the problem with the yeah. sub-faction because the sub-faction no. is good. No, and, and I just wanted to call that out because there might be some people here listening to this who might play a bit more aggressive. And look, yeah, this good. is, we're not saying there's one way, one right way or wrong way of playing it. It's just obviously you've done incredibly well. And and traditionally, if you look at how Lumineth has played, whether it was Sentinels and Warden combinations, protecting Techless, you know, some of the debuffs, you probably have been more of a defensive type of build. So, but, you know, to hey. the point of, of, of Paul, you know, you probably could build against a bit more of an aggressive beefer of secrets type of army where you do have the wounds, you do have some really good offense now in Avalonor, and you can be more aggressive um, if that's your style. Yeah, you can. I think that if you run a, a Metrica without techless, you are aggressive. That's correct. I think you have to be aggressive. And for the comment about the, the battle cattle in Zytrek, I'm not a fan of battle cattle at all, ever. I think that more Stone Guard is better, and Avalanor is substantially better than Navalarif, regular dude, because he's a hero, he has finest tower, he has stuff like that, more damage, greater command ability, way better minus one to hit aura. And I just don't, the cow doesn't really do that much damage, the regular cow. I've, I've tried Stone to bait you. Better. I've tried to bait you to talk about the Beefer of Secrets a few times. I've, I've kept bringing it up because I like it, but you just won't bite. You just won't take my I, I, I love the Avalanor. I don't like the regular one. I think it's not that good. I'd, I'd even run an Incarnate over it now, even though it's very expensive. It is very expensive now. Um, does Has your battle line considerations or is there anything that you've... Does, does this change much at all for you, I guess? There really hasn't been much of a change, I guess. No, Bl no Blade Lords... Blade Lords are a bit more attractive now as an option. Um, uh, but I'd say at you the never moment, want Blade Lords as battle line if you run them right now because of the condition at, thing. That was literally what was coming out of my mouth at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I, I, it's, I would almost not take uh, Blade Lords as battle line and to avoid bounty hunters. But again, couple of months time from now, you may want to be filling in your battle line when bounty hunters disappears. Yeah, they are right now. They have a niche of being a unit that you put on the front. That's not Galicians, and that's not Dawn Riders. So they actually do some damage to your opponent because Dawn Riders don't really do the damage in the mainline fight. So that's the thing you can do with them. And it works. Other than that, need... in, in, yeah. You don't need to double reinforce them. Like, that's the key, right? Like, why Why, why do I want no, to No, no, I don't really like double reinforcing units at all. Like, you had to do with Sentinels back then to fit in a regiment. I wouldn't do it now, pretty much ever. I mean, you can do it with stone guards sometimes, but it, it gets like the unit gets really big, even though it's like 15 dudes, they only have two inch reach. It's not like wardens that they all fight in 20 point blocks. You get some, like it, get, it has some diminishing returns 
And you have wireless units on the field, which, as you have said multiple times already, there are missions where you have a lot of objectives and you want more units for that. And if you're running the, the expensive heroes that you, I think you want to run, you want more stuff on the board. Yeah. And the kangaroos, you know, you, you want them. If you run them in Helon, that's fine. They can do. You want them as battle line. They're not Galicians. They're good at that. And I love the Dawn Riders. And you, if you have Dawn Riders and you can make them battle line, you always want to make them battle line if you have like two units of Wardens. Yeah, that's true. Also, too many bravery issues. That's correct. Yeah, your, so your Dawn the, Riders, the Dawn Riders aren't giving up anything at the moment because they, even though they're battle line, they're no GV. So you, you get to win yeah. in, in both departments. It's actually better for the purpose of the grand strategy. Your opponent can have to kill all your battle line. So that's why I'm saying you always want to do them. There's no broken ranks, right? Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's used anything, to be. anything else with battle line? So Sentinels are cool. It's important to know that you can't just win the game with them, as I have said already. You can have them. It's really nice to have, like, when you have the rune of petrification, or you, or you have Teclis, or you have both. There is a lot of stuff going to be running around, like, one wound or two. So it's nice to have some long-range shooting. So Sentinels are good for that. I prefer the Ballista, though, to them. Unless you have to fill your battle line, right? There might be some list-building issues where you need battle line, and you want shooting, and then you will take Sentinels. And they also can cast stuff for other units. Do you think the grand strategies are all good? So you've obviously got four new grand strategies. They're all tied to one of the builds, whether it's Venari, Sonari, Alarith, or Harkiran. Um, now, I'm hearing a lot of, like, Harkiran's probably not uh, the most optimum build at the moment. So I guess, you know, out of the other three options, do you think any of them stand out more than others? So... The Huracan one is really funny because even if the build was good, this is the worst grand strategy I've seen in my life, honestly. There, there isn't another one that's like as bad as this one, in my opinion. Uh, other ones, I don't like the Vanari Assault. It's like you have to kill your general and have a lot of units alive. And that's, in, that's not just a thing you can really easily plan for. If you have tight games, you will not be getting it. And grand strategies are pretty much only important in tight games, right? Uh, the scenario illumination one is tough because you either need to have like, if you want one scenario dude, you have to stand him in the middle of the table and then he does it, but that's not also very easily planable or you need to run more. And, I, as, I've said, and as I have said previously, I don't really like running multiple scenario characters. And the Aftershock one, I think is good with Alarif, but only if you like, like run a lot of Alarif. If you run Techless, I think you won't take what's theirs from the, from the General's Handbook. Because, I mean, not having said if he has the spells, right? Because you have the, the the speeds, the teleports to really easily secure that strand strategy throughout the game. And it's way easier than Alarif Aftershock because your opponent can just kill three units of your four, right? Or kill more of your units of your Alarif and you will not be able to take this. However, if you're running, you know, the... Yeah, I, I got that. I got that. <laughs> I didn't want to comment on that because you already pronounced my name correctly, so I can't trash you on this one. Hur uh, so. Hurricane, Hurricane, Hur <laughs> Hurricane. How's that? Did I pronounce it? Did I pronounce it correctly? <laughs> Jeez. All right. So you've got a couple of good options, but I'm hearing that the grand strategies in the battle plan is probably better off in most most guards. You're right. Like I look at it and go, the scenario illumination is is quite restrictive. Uh, it could be quite tough. Um, Venari assault. You really got to go all in on Venari, and you know just just, I mean, you, you need to be able to pull down a general. Like, what happens if someone's got an incredibly tough general? Do you, Can you pull it down? I think that's the key. Or they end. can just have, you know, like a small dude on a disc, and they could just run off into that corner, and you can't do anything about that, right, sometimes? 
that's that's the key, right? So you probably need a whole bunch of um the the you need the archers and stuff. Ballistas, right? the ballistas. You need ballistas. Oh yeah, the ballistae. I'm sorry, I forgot about them for a second. Even they're good now. They're, yeah, they're good, good now. now. They're good I, I never now. said they're bad. They're actually good now. No, I'm just saying, like, you forget about them because they've been bad for, like, two years. Um, I've run them in the previous book. They had a niche. They fit in a battle regiment. <laughs> like, if you didn't, but they did. So there was a use. What are the battle tactics? Are they ones that you you like? We won't go through all of them, but are they ones that you think are more useful so, than others? In short, they are incredibly good. Pretty much all of them are good. Ever. Always. Prior target is the weakest one. However, if you have Ballistae, you might sometimes want to pull this out. However, I personally think that right now the GHB tactics aren't that hard. It's pretty easy to do five of them in a game, or like four of them, let's say, right? And you have five ones in here from the town that are incredibly good, right? The one that casts four spells from units is really good. The one to have two endless spells, especially if you have three in your list, it's really good to do, right? The one with ignore the odds is incredibly good also. It's like a second eye for an eye, right? If your opponent hits you, stains in you, you just kill them. You get the tactic for free, right? Pretty much. I know you have to have a quartz on the unit, but I just find myself having quartz often. You want to use your quartz as late as possible, in large part due to these tactics, like conservator quartz, like ignore the odds, right? But they are all pretty good. They are essentially very usable. Like they are not, you know, stormcast spell tactics. They're good. Oh, they're bad. They're bad. But like, you know, blind the enemy can, can be useful. Yeah. Uh, depending on the build, the Hishmade Manifest can be a good one. Um, what else was there? I was looking at a bunch of them. Like, the Supremacy is good with Huracan. It's hard with Alarif because it's, it's kind of tough with Alarif because your opponent can just redeploy and you might fail the charge. So it's kind of risky, the Supremacy one. It's really good with Helon if you have a Fox. The Fox can just go on a duty to kill a character. He's going to be really good at it. He's going to do the tactic for you. Yeah. He's yeah, gonna I mean, die he's... afterwards, but I mean, who cares? Yeah, there's, there's, yeah. Th th when I looked at this, there's a, there's a lot of good options. I think you're, you're in a, a good position. Are... They, they, there's a lot of killing, so that's the only important part. Is you need to know you're killing something. Yeah, they're not, they're not cheaty ones like Zench or Zinch. Yeah, uh, but you certainly. So we talked, we've talked about allies already, but we don't worry about them. Uh, we talk allies. Um, Fox ain't element. What is the is the fox? Um, fox is not element. elementary. If he isn't, that's terrible. I didn't know that. Well, let me check it. Okay, yeah, he well, you're you... correct. Okay, you so, right. so that's you... that tactic isn't that good. I'm sorry for that. I didn't check this. <laughs> I never oh, expected go. the fox not to be elementary. There you go. Some some jank there. All right, and don't worry about him. Corrected. Don't okay. worry about the fox. We're, we're going to nerf the fox. Don't worry about it. You can't move in your... Yeah, in yeah. Your the, not fighting anymore. a fox anyway, guys. Well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, so here's your first list, right? We've talked for 90 yeah. minutes about the theory behind um, Lumineth. We've talked a lot of opinions. We've talked about ideas. We've talked, obviously, how you like to look at your list. But how does it actually come together? And Which is kind of why you've shared two lists. The first one being your non-techless list, and after this will be a techless list. So you've gone your Metrica, we've gone with the Alarith Aftershock Grand Strat, Indomitable as the Triumph, you've gone Alarith Stone Mage with a bunch of stuff, read it on the screen, the Enlightener, you've got uh, Avalonor, you've got the Light of Altharian, we've got two units of Stone Guard uh, as a unit of 10s, um, a unit of five as well. So you've got three units Stone Guard in total. You've got uh, Venari Blade Lords of five, two units of five Dawn Riders, the Rune of Petrification, and you have gone with an extra spell 
using uh, Committing Entourage, both as well with Bounty Hunters and Expert Conquerors. So uh, very tight 2,000 points on the nose. Uh, 10 drops. So we talked earlier about the fact that you don't have necessarily have to go Battle Reg. What does this list do? How does it work? What are the key synergies? What makes this list a good list? So this is essentially just 25 Stone Guard with the good two heroes to buff them, right? With the Avana and Altharion, that's your main front line. That's the thing that's going to kill your opponent most of the time. Avalanor buffing with a command ability for your stone guard makes them hit for a lot, like actually a lot. They do the damage with it. Without it, they do like meddling damage. I mean, it's okay, it's good damage, but it's not like you're not going to charge something and break it, right? With the Avalanor, you can expect charging a unit and killing it all right with the stone guard. Also, um, the Avalanor is just incredibly good with the stone guard. He, he gives you pretty much everything except for spell defense, which is what you get for Techless, right? He get, gives you a lot of damage, gives you the minus one to hit. He gives you a good anchor where you can have him like protecting between impassable terrains because I personally use a shrine. I just put it in the front, more, more of a like frontline uh, terrain thing. And I just use it as an impassable terrain to break up engagements so that my opponent cannot really engage the two of my units. And if you get an impassable terrain given gifted to you in your ter territory on the table. You can use it to create choke points and you can just have like your happy Avalanor sitting in there. Like only two rows or one row of two or five models will hit him. He'll hit them back with full force because he's a monster. He'll enjoy it, trust me. And that way, and he's also not GV, right? Which is important. So he can sustain the, the deadly bounty hunters, which we've talked about a lot. He also yeah. can have a two up save, like ignoring rent two, like which Stoneguard can't. So he can like, he tanks, Fulminator's like no one's business. Mm. He does the, the damage now, and he gives you the minus one hit, which is important, which I, have, I think I already said, because like that was the weakness of the Alarif compared to the Vanari, right? The um, so, unshakable, the unshakable faith of the mountain is so valuable. Being able to add plus one attack to your um, to your Alarith units and being able to do it three times for one CP. So, you know what you've shown here, going with the three into Stone Guard, you can really maximize the value of your CP. Uh, and the 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 Stoneheart King just it can hit like a truck, especially it's got a great shooting attack, that geomantic blast, as well as what happens in combat. It does uh, if those fire fire steel hammers go through, that's five damage a piece. That yeah, is brutal. He hits a lot for a lot, especially if you can give him the plus one to wound, which you have from the molten talisman. You have the plus one to wound aura if you need it, because like wounding on freeze isn't good, honestly. It like you drop drop a lot of dice on the way, especially if you start with only six. If you go freeze and freeze, you only connect like two or three, which isn't that much. So that's great for him. Or well, you can just finest tower him like normal, you know, player. And that's really good. So the thing that's different from this list than the ones I've seen a lot on the internet for the Alarif is I have gone way more caster heavy. I have no like Ballistae, I don't have like more Stone Garb, I don't have a Battle Cattle, like the second one. Essentially, I think that casting is very, very important for Luminef, right? They just, they, you lose a lot of your strengths if you don't have them. So I have a lot of, so that's why I have a Spell Enhancement. The Spell Enhancement lets me go for the Command Trade Unyielding Toughness for the Stone Guard, which we've talked about previously. And this lets me have a two casts on an Enlighter, right? And the big thing about it is that, like, I could have gone for, like, an Ethereal or an Overwhelming Heat on her. So that's essentially, you, so you can double up on these two. But I think that having a protection on a caster that can reliably get it, and she's protected by the Blade Lords, is really important, right? You could swap out the Command Trait for Lore Master on her, and then you drop the Enhancement of Spells, and you buy the Phoenix Stone. That's fine. And then you have more protection for your Stone Mage. 
in this list, the stone mage is very exposed, right? There is no Phoenix Stone, nor spell techlist, nor spell protection from techlist, no traits or artifacts that increases her survivability. So that's an issue. It might be a pretty big issue. However, there isn't that much shooting in the game right now, so I don't think that's necessary. Because like there is not that much sniping for your stone mage that can happen. Of course, there is, you know. What? No, and no, what keep going. Yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. So like there isn't that much thing that can snipe her anyway. So I, I'll try to run it like this greedy version with no protection for her, no Phoenix Stone. And I think it will work, especially like since like beasts and iron jaws are the tougher matchups and sons, and none of these can reliably hurt her, right? I mean sons could with a stone, but it hits on the floor. Yeah, they hit enough rocks, you eventually take them down. Um, two, two burning questions I at least want to ask. First, the Light of Altharian, and then I'll go to a, a question from the yeah. chat. What does this bring to the table? Because you look at this and it stands out, right? You know, it's not a caster. Uh, it's not a part of Alareth. It's, it's what is it doing in this list? And why would you add 240 points for one model? So Altharian is the best damage unit we have in the book like for the points, he does a lot of damage. It's like ridiculous amounts of damage that he does. He's very small, so you can very easily have him in your line, not necessarily on the line, just like standing and getting charged. You can have him protected. He needs a very little area to get somewhere because he's just a single model. And he's actually tough. He can tank stuff. Like he isn't, you know, a, I don't know, I know, like an Achillean King, right? An Achillean King will die to a lot of stuff. Like he does the damage. I mean, he does probably more damage than Alfarian, but he dies. Alfarian doesn't really die that easily because he has a free up ethereal. He halves the damage. So like, you know, they come in with damage too. He's really tough against that. And he can like, you can just plop him in the front line against Sons, for instance, and just try to survive a Mega Gargant. I'm not sure that's a great idea, but at least you're not losing 10 Stone Guards. Sometimes it's better to just lose your Alfarian than your 10 Stone Guard when you're playing Sons, which I think is still going to be a, you know, just like not really kill all the Gargans and just outscore them on points. And through Expert Conquerors and uh, Proving Grounds, you can do that. So you should sometimes just sacrifice the Alfarian. And he is capable of surviving a Mega Gargan charging into him because of the halving damage and the free up save. And especially if you have the protection from the Enlightened, right? And that's why I like him. And he also he just wrecks stuff. Like when you get charged, into your line and you are stuffed, you need a unit that can just go and make holes for you to move out, right? And Alfarian is really good at that, in my opinion. Yeah, like when I look at this War Scroll, right, some of the things that stand out for me is one, as you said, the three up base save that is ethereal, so you can't modify it positively or negatively. So you're passing on average two thirds of your, your arm saves and you're obviously reducing the, the damage by half. The Ren 3 sword, so getting four attacks from the Fang on Ren 3, hitting on twos, wounding on three. So if you've got the plus one to wound triumph, it's a great way to be going in Ren 3. He has it on the charge too. He gets plus one to wound? On the charge from the big sword, yes. Of course. The, the, of, of course. There it the is. Yeah I, can see the fang. yeah, I can see the ability. Holy shite. That's incredible. And can do some mortal wounds on sixes. And two you wounds. can... And sixes can, to hit explode. Yeah, and you can also choose a hero enemy, a hero or a monster, yeah. and you can choose to make it the damage 2d3 as opposed it's to 3. It's the little so... sword, not the big sword for the 2d3 damage. Uh, scenario Blade. Yeah, it, it, the problem is rent 1, but it still hits a lot if you get like a Gargant with only a 4-up save. You can get that for Yeah, damage. I was going to say, you're going into a hero or a monster, so they usually got yeah, good that armor was saves. But... It usually was only a hero. 
No, yes, Paul, you're 100% right. It won't halve the mortal wounds. You're 100% correct there. But, you know, the fact that you can just save, uh, it's, it's such a tanky piece for 240 points, it'll tie up your opponent. The the Light of Altharian, I would expect to see in a lot of Lumef lists. Um, it's a very yeah. good piece. And if I can, and, and, and even with my cities, right, I was looking at running like the, the Settler's Gain. I'm like, this is a great model to be bringing in if Lumineth's an ally. Yeah, he's a really good ally also. He gets pretty much nothing from our legions. Like, that, there are spells, but like, he has all the stuff that make him good is on his war scroll. There isn't like a synergy with the allegiance other than like, you know, speeds and stuff like that, but he doesn't need the quartz. No. So, no. Larior is better than a regent if you run the Metrica. He isn't better that... if you don't run the Metrica. And that was going to be my other question because I know a lot of people talk to me about this, uh, the the Warden of Eumetrica, um, but they want to run it in some other sub-faction, but unfortunately um, it's tied to Eumetrica. So that's not actually true. I think Larior is incredibly good, always. Okay. If you're running the stuff that you need. So I run a Lord Regent only if I run a lot of Vanari. So essentially the Lord Regent's niche, in my opinion, is getting the greater power of Hish on your units. And if you have a lot, if you're like Sentinels, you need, I think you're running like 40 Sentinels, right? You need a Lord Regent because you don't get that power. Your damage gets cut in half. You're not doing great, right? So you have the second chance of getting that with the power of Hish, right? And Larior is generally, genuinely way better than a regular uh, Lord Regent, right? You get the shot. That's pretty good, right? The shot from the Lance. You get two more attacks on the Lance in combat. You get two more inches of movement, like probably one point of bravery too. He gets like, like some horns more attacks, right? And, oh yeah, that's true. Uh, and he's generally speaking great, right? The thing that he issues commands on the entire table for free is fantastic. There is still a lot of other ways to get it from Luminev, even though this is what, by far the best one, right? Yeah. And however, it's Keylock to Imetrika, which is the only problem with the scroll, right? And because Imetrika is a faction that doesn't want to run Vanari units as their main line because Alarif are so good, I don't think he's an auto-includer in any way, shape or form, right? It's more of a, like, if you're running um, the, the Vanari stuff that you want to deal damage with mostly, and you have the 20 points, or you can spare the 20 points, and you don't have a particularly great artifact or trait, which there aren't, other than the Arcane Tome, Larior is fantastic. And I think he's really, really good. He does actually a lot of damage, right? He has seven attacks that do, like, two damage. So he's great. Yeah, and especially with the meta at the moment, there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of demons running around. Yeah. Um, you know, that demon blade doing th uh, three flat damage, although it's only two attacks. Like, he's already got a really good attack profile. Um, so, yeah. He's, he's really good. Honestly, really good. And a fantastic model, even though Origin is clear. Yeah, that's correct. The, uh, the you can only issue the command. Yeah, the metric. That's the only problem with yeah. him. Otherwise, I've never run Lord Regent ever. Yeah. Uh, anything else you'd want to call out on this particular list? Well, like, why the Rune of Petrification? It's the best endless spell available to us, in my opinion. Why? Why? It costs only 40 points, so it's cheap. You can auto-cast it from an Enlighter if you need to, and you will, because it's casting an 8. It's very high casting value. That's the only problem with this thing. So you put it on the, like... If, if you begin, right, this list, the big problem of the list is you don't really damage your opponent if you go first, right? You only put your buffs out. So I would always cast the rune my first turn even. Just put it in front of where my stone guard will be, right? You have your stone guard line and six in front of them is the rune. And you're happy with that. And the rune, if anything goes into this, this thing does like two mortal wounds a turn to everything, right, in range. Uh, is it D3 it on a on a four? Uh, plus so, so essentially, it, it procs on the beginning and the end of the movement phase. 
So if something starts in there, that's two mortals, right? Because yes, it drops it once does for two mortals. So it does uh -huh. a lot of damage. It really does a lot of damage. I wanted to talk more about it with Teclis because I think it's synergized with him stupidly well. It also does minus one to charge. So if you're, you're playing against like a charging opponent, you can just have the rune slightly in front of your front line and it will minus one them from the teleport charge. So they need to roll a 10, which is really good. And it generally speaking does a lot of damage. And I think it's better to run the rune than to run shooting units in a list. Because it's still 18 inches to put it down and it works in six. So it's still pretty good, 24 from the cast. So you can just have your Dawn Riders on the line deployed, right? And just try to cast this thing. It's not that reliable, but you have plus one. You have the you have the quartz you're plus one, right? So it's not terrible. Or you can just put the Enlighter on the line. The Enlighter on the line will have the protection of the Blade Lords. And if your opponent, because you are counter deploying with 10 drops, you will have her safe, right? You will not put her on the line if your opponent can harm her very well, right? And then you can just cast the rune, right? right into the middle of your opponent's force, then she runs back during her turn, you really, you really arrange your front line, and they have a rune in their army that does a lot of damage to them. And you Plus, can do it through deep thinkers, right? That's why I get it always. And it's a casting value of eight, so it's incredibly so it's, hard to unbind. Like we heard we heard how people hate trying to unbind the purple sun. Yeah, it's a casting value of eight. Exactly the same, right? So if I have the if I have this and I've got a without any bonuses, you know, a, a very low chance of cast uh, unbinding it or dispelling it then it's just going to sit there and then create this either aura of effect where I'm going to be taking mortal wounds or I'm going to try to ignore this six-inch bubble of, of pain. So Yeah, you can just throw it on the middle of a point. It's impossible to not be on the point and be in this range. And you can also just, um, if you have like choke points, as I've said previously, you can put it sideways in a choke point and your opponent can charge onto them, right? So you have a no-charge zone protected, right? And it doesn't work on our units for some reason, so we never take the mortals back. Yeah, it's absolutely 40... fantastic. 40 points 40 points is definitely yeah, a steal well spent. it's 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 a steal right so you got it your is. second list and I'll, I'll bring this up because one i'm getting questions about other endless spells two you've already referred to techless and some of the synergies if you take techless and i know a lot of people have been asking me is techless worth taking still and especially at the moment where he doesn't get the spell law is 700 points a worthy investment and this is where you're going to come in and tell us why you're taking Teclas, um, how it's going to synergize, and how this list differs from the other. So the problem with Teclas, if you can only take one spell, is you're probably taking Eclipse on him. And if you're taking Eclipse on him, he has no access to teleports, no access to Howling Gales, no access to Stoicism, which is, this is the five up on Stone Guard, right? Which is the big thing that didn't happen previously. It's like, if your opponent unbound your power on your block of wardens, right? Teclis couldn't have fixed that. Regent could have, right? And now he can give the mortals to the Stone Guard unit, right? This is like a lot of mortals, like four per activation on 10 guys, I think the spells is something like yeah, that. Yeah, but by the way, before someone adds me, uh, this is a copy and paste error. The additional enhancement is meant to be an artifact, not a spell. So that's a that's an input error from me. Yeah. So you can see there are two artifacts in there. The Alarith Stone Mage has the Molten Talisman, and you can also see the Enlightener. You can also see there's only one spell. So um, that's, that's my mistake. Okay. So essentially, Teclis without all the lores isn't that good, in my opinion. I mean, he still does the thing you need, the things you need him to do, and he's pretty much the same in like first two rounds. He pretty much never casts anything other than Eclipse, from my experience. He just casts, you know, his Happy Storm, his uh, Protection. He usually goes for one of the Endlesses and then casts an Eclipse, right? And you handle. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. 
sorry, lighting vortex. It's better than lighting vortex. Um, so, and like the big thing that I love about Techless is that he has the storm, right? He costs 780 points, right? Because you need a spoil portal for him. But as I have said previously, you can just put your Dawn Rider on the line and with plus one and rerolls, try to get the rune and you go for a storm on the entire army through the spell portal and you go for the rune on the line. So you're hitting like two, three units or something. And you're putting out a lot of hurt throughout the table, right? And you don't invest in shooting. Which is fine. You have a lot of combat. Oh, yeah. What's no? Just, just one, just one, one. Just want to clarify this in case people have missed it. Yeah. Um, Alexander, um, in the old book, in the in the previous edition of Lumineth Realm Lords, Teclas knew the entire spell law, so you didn't have to select one of the spells like you would traditionally do. Uh, a lot of the god models know the the their spell law, right? Like um, Marathi knows. One does know. Yeah, like Marathi knows like the yeah. lore of shadows and like a lot of the uh, Alariel knows all the lore of life. Um, Teclas also used to know all of the spell law, so you didn't have to pick it. You had a bit of flexibility. Currently, the way that it's been written, um, the, the book as it stands says that Teclas doesn't know all the, or, or that text isn't there. So we're hoping an FAQ will come out, in a, you know, in the next couple of weeks and we'll give it back the spell law. But in the meantime, I guess what we're trying to say here is that if um, you need to choose a spell um, like you would any other wizard, he knows the spells, but you've got to choose one or two and, if you if you go like Warlord or something. Yeah, so, and essentially if he doesn't get, yeah, this is like a very like believable mishap on their part, right? This isn't like something like I want my Stone Mage to have six wounds, right? And so I will play let him have six wounds, right? Yeah, and this, this, is, is, like why, this is why we... This is why we're doing an early thoughts. Like at the moment, he doesn't know the spells, but in a couple of weeks' time, it may change. So we're just talking about the world as it is, um, and it may change or it may not. And then we still live in a world where you're going to choose Techless yeah. and is 700 points enough? Are you going to be enhancing it with multiple battalions to get those spells up, or do you put him on the shelf for a holiday for a so while? Right now, if he only has a single space that he can choose, right, I would run spell enhancement over the Phoenix Stone in this list, right? Just get him to have the Eclipse and, I guess, the Teleport, right? Because these are the ones that you use most of the time. These are the ones, or at least, like, the Teleport you maybe not use all the time, but the fact that you have it means your opponent has to play very differently. And it's not like a Teleport on a regular caster in which you need to roll high, so some opponent may gamble to not play around it and stuff like that. Techless will always cast that Teleport, right? So they will mm -hmm. need to at least have it in the back of their minds to always have a plan to how to deal with it, right? If they can't unbind, because some armies just don't, and they need to do other heroic actions. Uh, if he gets all the spells, I think Teclis is fantastic. I think this list is better than the previous one if Teclis has all the spells. Because you have an alternate win condition in just storming your opponents, right? Like, I don't have can sustain getting stormed throughout five turns, right, or four. And you also have a rune that does also a lot of damage. And now the fissure is has the range that can do mortals at range. So you can throw out three damage spells at your opponent that's like 18 inches. So that's something. Of course, you want to spell portal the, the storm, right? And you have a very sustainable storm front line. And the way I like to think, like Teclis actually boosts your defensive power of your Stormguard way more than Avalanor does. Because um, Avalanor gives you minus one to hit, right? And he's like, the, this is the thing that they need, right? Other than the stuff they have. And Teclis does a lot more for your defense, right? Because it gives you a very reliable five up ward, which is also worded very weirdly right now. I don't know if you want to talk about the, the weird it... wording. Oh, no, I won't worry. I was just going to say, uh, don't worry about the weird wording. I think, again, some of these things might get clarified. But 
uh, it's interesting because when I look at Avalon or, you know, the, the beefer of secrets, I see him really playing as more of an offensive play. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to, I mean, yes, he does help with the defense, but if I want real defense, as you've said, I want uh, a caster. I want someone like Teclas. Uh, while yeah. if I'm taking like Avalon or, or even the, uh, the spirit of the mountain, I'm going for the, um, the plus one attacks, uh, that yeah, that's but, but, one of the drawing facts for me on, on top of like a independent monster who can do its own damage yeah that's the thing right because the mountains give you the minus one to hit which Texas cannot provide and they give you attacks which means you have more like focused damage in combat when you need to like punch through like four flies right Texas isn't good at punching through four flies right but he's really good at wearing down an army throughout the time right like there is it just sometimes wins games. You can just sit back on the points, just stand still, never charge, and just storm them and put a rune there, and they will die a lot. Mm. And like Stormguard actually hit back if you get charged, and so they will still die from that, right? Of course, you will be losing units, right? And I want to talk about the Dawn Riders because I didn't on the previous one. The Dawn Riders, I think, are the best Vanari scroll in the book at all, like altogether. They give you a really fast unit, which is really important if your frontline is as slow as ours with this list. So you can run around and get the points, get the bar through enemy lines, get the desecrate their lands. They are also excellent screens for your backfield. So you protect from teleports. You just string them because they have, you know, five models with wide bases. You just make a really long line and you protect a lot of your backline. And they still will do something, right? Because they will be casting a spell, like maybe Ethereal, something like that, maybe like a Mystic Shield or something, if you have if you have the champion closer to your front line. Or just like casting a spell portal if you don't need that much inches forward for Texas, right? They are still useful and they can just move back into the company and charge away very fast because they have the movement and you have the speed. And speed is the spell output on an lighter always in the first place, right? As I have said previously. And that might and that actually probably we should remind people that Shining Company got also got updated. Oh, yeah. So so you can break formation by running. So that that got changed for everybody. So it means that yeah, you can run and um, still be in Shining Company. So a huge, charge huge change. In Shining Company, yeah, it's incredibly massive. good. They they retain their defense when charging, which is really important. Which was the big problem with them, right? You just had in order to charge, right? You know, before rolling the charge, you had to break the company, so you already lost a big part of your survivability. That's better than other armies, and then you could have still failed the charge for one minute or another, right? And you wouldn't have accomplished anything, and you would have been sharing the front lines, which is not what you want. Because I this list won't table your opponent early on. You will be playing the four rounds, sitting still, and grinding your opponent out. And this is it works like that. It's really slow, though. I think it's it works a lot. Like some armies just can't kill you at all, right? Like Texas is pretty much invincible because no unit at range can really kill him. Turn one, especially. So that's why I can't run any drops, right? Because long strikes with Thunderbolt Volley are no more, and Fox lists are no more, which were the two lists that could kill Texas very reliably. Turn one. No other army. He still has a big problem with Belakor, right? Which, but like you can't plan around that. The only thing you can plan around that with Belakor is get a spell enhancement and get a protection spell on your Enlighter. And you can hit a ward without tech. But that's but that's 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 one that that's one type of list out of yeah. at a tournament. And you might see a lot of a lot less of Belacorn now that Legion of the First Prince is going to be changed in yeah, a couple of months' time. So so you so you may not I mean he can certainly be an ally but it, yeah, the Nurgle list powerful. was a huge problem for Luminous Techlist, right? Because they would just turn off your Techlist and the flies would absolutely like flatten your units. St the Stongard should live slightly longer, but they won't live that much longer. Nurgle flies ha with Belakor is still a problem. 
It happened to my Stormcast. It did the exact same yeah. thing. It's just like Bellacore. It was the only like... Like, game I lost with a Dawnrider focused with the Feckless. I just got flattened in two turns. Question for you. So you got yeah. an extra spare to 10 points there. Do you think changing one of your Dawn Riders to be one of the kangaroos? I know you love your kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. um, do you do you see some value in something like that? Because I do like the wind charges ability to shut off wards. I think that can be a really nice hero sniper, especially since Sentinels that got changed and that hero sniping ability. So the is hero no sniping there. of Sentinels is still fine. They still do the same. The European just can't hide them, but the point is they they are expensive and they can't heal other stuff, right? So the kangaroos are fine-ish. This list has a lot of casts, right? I think it's nine casts. So you might, the, the, the ninth cast isn't that important. I think eight was the break point. I, once I did check that thing. So like when you get eight, you have everything pretty much you need. And when you get the ninth, it's not that important. And you get the, the kangaroos, you get some short range shooting. That's pretty cool. You get like a unit that can pass through terrain, which is actually important. So sometimes you might fly over an impossible terrain that's like very wide, like a garrison, and Dawn Riders couldn't do that and you didn't want to allocate speed to allow them to do so, right? So this gives you something to do so. And it's cool that, you, as I've said previously, right, when you have the, the storm and the rune, there's a lot of stuff that's like left on one or two wounds running around the field and you hate doing that stuff, right? And just having a unit of Dawn Riders, sorry, not Dawn Riders, the wind chargers just move up and shoot that stuff is fine. That's an issue you can, and it might as well be worth it, right? The 10 points for a triumph is little. It's very little going to give you the triumph that you have. I kind of still like the option, but I would, I, I just, honestly, if Dawn Riders, if chargers were, I think chargers were better than Dawn Riders, I would have had them there. I just love the Dawn Riders. I think they are a fantastic unit. And I knew you would say that. Uh, why Why I want to ask you that is because I did think that the the wind charges did get a glow up. I truly I believe did. that their war scroll improved from the last book. But was it enough for me to bring it into a list? That's what I wanted to hear from you. And I think what I'm okay. hearing from you at the moment, and to call out what Paul said, the wind charger ignoring wards is fine. And it's good, especially like Nighthaunt. You want to pull down that Cruciati. You want to do some great things but the damage profile probably won't back it up. And you already said it's 12 inch shot. So once you're in, once you're in that close range, if you don't win the priority role, it's probably going to die. Yeah. And also they lost the, the way to run back with Helon. So you can't even try to fix that. And they lost the rent in combat. I'm pretty sure. Right. Uh, For some yeah. reason they had rent two bows in combat. I think they yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ren two, the Ren two bow did get. Yeah, so they, they were I funny bounty one. hunters. You could have run them with bounty hunters, and they were kind of funny at doing some damage with Ren two bows. Yeah, they're, they're only Ren one now. They're they're one. Yeah, yeah, they're Ren one now. That's what I'm saying. That's like so like they're not even that good for that. They used to just charge, shoot some stuff in combat, even like with free attacks, or, and then just go away with the command ability from Helen, which is no more. It isn't as scrolling slaves to darkness. I'm pretty sure that leaked. They get that. What's that? The, the retreat after combat. The slaves yeah. have a scroll with this, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I no, know, I know. No, no comment, no comment. Yeah, yeah. But one thing I do want to ask you about is uh, our mate Cronspine. Uh, Cronspine, yeah. he went up to 480 points. Uh, no no rule changes. The Cronspine is the Cronspine. And I know Zinch and, um, and Lumineth, there were some really good builds because one of the things you probably lack is offensive, aggressive power. Um, especially like in the past where you could tie some things up and as you said castle up use all your magic while your cronspine's doing things at 480 do you think it's valuable um in the book 
or do you think it might be a bit too much now? So I think the Kronspine is, you, you can make it work. The thing that I, I really like the Kronspine Lumineth just before this book, where you run him with a Lord Seeker, right? Because the Lord Seeker wasn't unique, at least he was played like he was was not unique, even though the FAQ still was there, but it doesn't matter. So you could have glued your Kronspine to your Lord Seeker, and you could teleport your Lord Seeker onto a point, like like Realmstorm Cash was absolutely unlosable, right? You just teleport your Lord Seeker onto a point, have a full like control, nobody could take it from you, just take the first turn, because that was a one drop, just run the Kronspine in front of him, they can't kill the Kronspine, they can't take the point, they are, you know, well, in a bad place. I think right now it's the Kronspine is, has less of a use, right? Because Elfarion and Avalanor got the glow up they did. They actually do more damage than the Kronspine right now, on average in combat. So he has lost that niche of being like a hammer thingy. That's not Galician veterans, right? Because that was the problem previously in the previous book. Now we have the two heroes that are really good at doing the damage. So I'll generally speaking say that I wouldn't personally run a Kronspine, but I can certainly see someone making it up. If you will make the, you know, the try to do this, you will think about your list. I think there is a good list with the Kronspine. I just didn't at all commit any time towards building it because I felt like Avalanor works better and Elfarion, and they feel the niches that you needed anyway. It probably fits better in a in a Venari Sonari type list as opposed to yeah. a Eumetrica um, yeah. a, 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 a type of Alarith build. And yes, Jonathan, I've seen you ask this couple of couple of times now. The Cronspine would trigger the Helon ability, Helon ability, if the hero is dead, because it would be treating as a. But do you want your Cronspine at four hundred and eighty points, sitting around a bunch of idiots to give them plus one attack? I don't think so. Really. I feel like it's. A, I feel like I mean, it's, 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 it's a funny use of the ability, but you're still like the point is your healing guys who shoot are like the sh the rules are short range, right? So they need to be next to a cron spine and next to an enemy, which is sometimes hard to engineer on the field. And the fox is well, the foxes aren't in the book, let's say right now, right? They don't do the damage; they're expensive. They don't move well. I don't like the foxes right now. They didn't get a points reduction that they probably if they're going to remove that. I mean. Either A, they were under-costed for the last two years, or B, they were fairly costed and you need to drop the points a little bit. Because I do like the Foxes. I think they need to be in there. And I, I do yeah. believe that removing the movement in my turn was the right call. Um, especially, especially there's a lot of armies, and you can talk about archetypes, like, oh, you can plan around it. Well, guess what? Soul Black Grave Lords can't do shite about that. Uh, Iron Jaws can't yeah, do shite sure. about that. A lot of armies don't have the tools to handle that, um, and it became feel bads. Yes, Stormcast can handle it, but not everybody. But um, I, I still think there's a place for foxes, but the the way you did it and how you invested in foxes... Yeah, they lost a lot, like really a lot. They lost healing, they lost uh, the They move. lost a lot, yeah. 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 And, and, and I would probably argue that they probably should have went down a little bit because they are yeah, a little they, bit Yeah, they barely went down at all, like barely. Severe have got a nice buff that he can actually, you can try to destroy a terrain ever previously. Like I never tried because you couldn't charge, right? At all. If you uh, yeah, it's got smashed, it's got smashed to rubble. But it, now he but just it does smash to rubble, right? And previously yeah. he had to uh, not charge and just try to wreck a terrain, which is really hard to do anyway. So that's a nice buff for him, right? But other than that, he does less damage because there is no moving in your opponent's shooting phase to do mortals, which I used a lot. And he can't fly away from combat, obviously, right? He also doesn't reduce pylons, which is pretty sad. 
free uh, to deploy them. Yeah, I'm sure that would work. That Kev- would be Kevin, something, I actually, at least. Kevin, I actually don't hate that. I, that. That probably would have felt like a, a bit more of a fair trade um, that you give a free redeployed def- foxes. I think that's actually not too bad. I would I have liked the 2D6 redeploy for them. Just like you just have a 2D6 redeploy instead of a D6 one. It's just something. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that also works. I think yeah, I think definitely being able to guarantee a twelve inch move in your enemy turn is bad. But I think they could have been they could have been they could have been a compromise. They could have been a compromise. Yeah, yeah, like they they got nerfed too hard, in my opinion, and they were obnoxious. I agree. Like people hated playing against me. Some people. Yeah, and like this, the the Sentinels. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, the the Cron Spine at four eighty. I think there's much better value going into your opponent, especially. I mean, it's if also you're... really hard to break the bond in Luminef. It's not that easy to kill your hero. You would have to just like run off into the middle of the field with your wind mage and charge away, right? But that's like still, it's not like a uh, the, the, the Zinch guy who just double destinies himself to death, right? <laughs> or like a sorceress who just kills the other sorceress in cities, right? Where you proc the death, right? It's not guaranteed at that. Nah. And Sentinels with two shots are only mildly better than they used to previously. Oh, Lord Seeker. Uh, nah, don't, the, don't run the, the Lord Seeker, guys. Yeah, but you could. Like, you could Lord yeah, Seeker, you could, you get, could, go he... super aggressive, die, and then yeah. Conspired is uh is, You could. Is That's free. true. I forgot about that. I, I just don't like the Lord Seeker right now because he does nothing. There's no offensive spells that you need range for anymore. Lambent Light removed. And he doesn't, like, you know, secure the objective for himself, guaranteed, right? Yeah, it counts so, as, what, five, five now? I think it's objective? 10. I'm five or sure 10. It's but 10. It's... But the rule of that you can't uh, yeah, take ten. the objective off if they're within six inches of the objective, that's gone. So, yeah. Um, and that was really good to use. But, oh. you know, Lord Seeker, you, you could make some funny stuff with like Lauhon and maybe like a really deadly endless spell has short, short range, like casting a purple sun and casting a Lauhon for him and running around. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. he is. People really liked, you know, the Blade of Leaping Gold on him and just having him run around with seven attacks, right? He can't do that anymore either because there are no aggressive artifacts in our book. Uh, I, I, I'm going to answer this one for you. I think I know the answer. A Mercenary <laughs> Mega Gargant in Lumineth? No, it's too many points and you get the idiot Mega Gargant. You don't need a Kraken either. Um, counting as five, it's 500 points of, of wasted. And again, if I'm paying 500 points, I'm going Cronspine. I'm not going Mega Gargant in Kurgan most cases. Necklace. Oh, obviously, and also, can... yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, the army is very synergy driven. So, just shoving a 500 point unit that has little to no synergy without a, like a very well thought out plan is not a great idea. Well, you get the pl- with the cron spine, you get the plus. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying without and... a great thought out plan, right? You had a, the grand design of having sentinels shooting. But, like, also, important thing about that is that the cron spine will be wild and he'll be next to your sentinels. It's really hard to fit all of them within six outside of three. And then he'll charge you. So like it's not the yeah. best idea. I mean, you have bait like endless spells set up. It's it's very funny, like the idea of making this list, but I don't think it's reliable at all. A couple of it, it sounds couple, funny. It's a great idea, but yeah, I don't think it works. I don't think it works in execution very well. Yeah. How do you do You will have like any... one great game when you pulled it off and you will speak oh. about it every single time, right? And yeah, that's what and then you'll be chasing that that synergy every other yeah, time. Yeah. And you're like, I remember yeah. when I did this once. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Talk to day. me about your deployment. Talk me to a deployment. How do I deploy as okay. a Lumineth player? So if you run, so you want to have your backline secured. If you have shooting units, you want your shooting units to screen your backfield. If you have like a like a thin deployment, like eleven forward, right? The one just one stripe 
of the down of the battlefield, you can screen your heroes very effectively. So just you just put your heroes in the backline, not not protected at all. If you're playing against like a non-shooting list or against a weak shooting list, right? It's so like like a single ballista. I, I I don't think I would respect the ballista to kill a hero of mine, honestly. I'll just send a hero, just finest tower it in the first turn and just have it screen my backfield. It's more important because like it's a very wide space then to screen, right? So I'd prefer to have a more of a presence to disallow teleports. Luminef aren't that terrible at breaking out of your contain like Seraphon are. So that's not that big of a concern because you have the Dawn Riders or you have the like a single fox is actually kinda useful sometimes if you want to just have a unit that can just you know break out of a contain and take points for some for some battle plans. So they are pretty good at breaking out. You want to have your stone mage, if you're running a stone mage. You want, of course, you want all the ranges secured, right? You want to have every single spell available to be cast on every single eligible unit outside of like 12 inches from techless if you need to. You want your heroes to be protected, which is fairly standard stuff, right? And you want your stone guard to be within at least 10, preferably 9 inches of any objective that you can get on, right? Because 8 inches with a run is guaranteed with speed and a 1-inch run, or you just run 6 and you get the 10, right? So you always want to be able to at least put one guy on a point within range. With Vanari, it's of course, the numbers are different, but the, the, the point's the same, right? And against stuff that has like rent free from the beginning of the game, so like Iron Jaws, you want to, your frontline to be Dawn Riders sometimes because they then they or you want like two units of Stone Guard and a unit of Dawn Riders so they have if you they take the wad they're not killing everything stuff like that right They're just to create choices and if you expect to be given away the turn you want to have a caster on the line of yours if you know if like so if your opponent has deployed you are finishing your deployment after because hard drops and you expect them to give you the turn you want to have a caster on the line or close to or in safe space to cast an offensive spell forward be it rune be it like a calligraph with erasure you can just cast an erasure first and then just run back into the castle and then that hero is marked and they don't want to come closer to you right so you have that kind of sorted or they take two d6 mortal wounds right which is pretty good right long range spells have real value right now in mm. my opinion especially if you can counter deploy your opponent right and if they don't give you the turn, you don't want to lose those heroes. Like, so sometimes you just can't do that, and you just accept that you can't. You just use your spells to cast the defensive stuff, and you won't do any harm to your opponent. But that's fine sometimes, right? We can take a double from most armies outside of like Bounty Hunter Dragon Ogres, Bounty Hunter Flies, or like a Witch Spam. Because Witches just force so much saves on you, just die anyway, even through the free up. Save yeah, they, don't, they, don't want to, they don't want to charge you in turn one. They're more of a wait for at least. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying a double. Two, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, like, you know, you're right. Like, you know, look for cover, look for arcane terrain, look for ways. I think yeah. I think yeah. what you've said is a really good point, right? Like, you have five rounds of magic, right? So you, by, by deploying defensively and being out of a threat range shuts down one of your five. So having something offensive, as you mentioned, the rune, having humble spell portal and things like that really makes you be able to do something in turn one um, and, and create threat opportunities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that kind of allows you to run high drops because you have mm -hmm. a plan to do if you get, you know, given the turn, which is the optimal. You usually just give away the turn in this game right now, right? At least that's how I feel about it because doubles are so good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And, um, I, and especially for your type of build as well, which is probably a bit more of a defensive. You've yeah, mentioned castle a few times. Yeah, like if you were building more of an aggressive and you had Avalonor and some Beefer of Secrets and some, you know, some more offensive play, then you can spread out and you can do more things. And I still firmly talked... believe that def being defensive is superior almost always. 
with no other, with most armies in the game, if you can have an army that can damage your opponent, if you have like a range advantage anytime, right? And they try to get to you, you will have like forced engagements on your side of the field. So you, you will know where your opponent can get to and you can plan your ranges accordingly, right? Like other armies, like you can position your curse within the range of your screen, right? So if they charge you and get in there, you get a curse guaranteed for them, right? And you protect your stuff that's important to you because you know what the opponent can hit, right? And just playing defensively, in my opinion, just gives you more options otherwise. However, it's also very like you run similar on points. You hardly get like, um, you hardly get like, like you know, 15 points victories, right? Unless you table your opponent very well. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. I would agree with Obsidian as That's well. That's of like, course you correct. Know. I'm just saying you need to have a fail safe to survive a double from your opponent, right? Correct. That's what correct. I'm trying to tell you, right? And I, I love giving away the turn, right? Everybody's laughing at me. Like, I give a turn always, pretty much, when I play the second turn. Like, getting doubled from one to two isn't that bad. Getting doubled from two to three is terrible. Like, that's game ending, right? So, correct. if you can give away the turn, you can, you, if you have your buffs set up, there is not that much combat, you know where your opponent can hit you, you always give your opponent your turn, right? Because then you can know that your opponent can never double you back anyway. So you can have your screen, screen stretched. No double screens, no multiple protection stuff, and you can just play more aggressively, even right in that sense. Because you cannot, because you know, like if you have a ten dudes standing here and you have techies here, and your opponent can double you, they can't get through the dudes to get to him, right? So you can move more liberally with your stuff, and there is less yeah. of a need. So that's yeah, that's why I think generally speaking, just give away your Gi turns. Trust me. Giving yeah, giving away like there's been so many times I'll give away priority into turn two because I don't need it. And like yeah. I can confidently go, look, I've set up pretty well. I've got the buffs up that I need at the moment. I don't need it. Like, yes, I could take it, but I would rather, to your point, the double from two to three, that yeah. is more valuable or denying my opponent from doubling me going in from two to three. So if nothing more, I lose that priority role. It's still you go, I go, you go, I go. So that to me is more valuable. So I love hearing from that. And I think that's even where... Things like ballistas come into play. You know, if you aren't, if you're going to go high drops and you're worried about those turn one threats and you, maybe you don't want to put the wizard on the line and, and you know, put your, put all your toys out, having that 36 inch range threat of ballistas yep. can start sniping, start using Aether Quartz and spells and, um that might actually force your opponent i you'll see your opponent when you hear they've got a 36 inch threat yeah they'll go i want to go first i don't That's want you to snipe my you don't want to snipe me before i get my buffs up and you know take out my critical piece yeah and you also when you give away the turn from second you get the proving ground and you have a lot of galitians yeah. that's also very important and like the doubles like as i've said multiple times already, Luminev don't really do that great damage. Like, it's not, you're not lifting a Gargant a turn. It's very, very hard to do with this with this army altogether. Not necessarily even a list, right? So your doubles aren't devastating at all, pretty much. So I, I just don't think you ever plan for a double. Unless you play, like, Shotgun Sentinels, right? Then you go for doubles always. Given that, given that Suns actually is recently come out and some of the community, like me, is, like, very excited to run Suns, how how do you handle them given that you've said already many times that you just don't do that much damage how do you pull down a 35 if not a 40 wound gargant um because it's coming for you it's coming to smash yeah. you in the face the sons are a mess right now of a matchup in my opinion for the luminef so we've lost golden gargants which was really good against gargants we've lost voice so our like derps i call them so the uh, the Crippling Vertigo and Darkness of the Soul are way less, uh, like, they happen way less often. They block the Gargans way less often. And uh, generally speaking, uh, you just 
to have lost a lot. You have the overwhelming heat, which is fantastic. I would personally probably, if I can't get a Dawn Rider on the line, an overwhelming heat turn one, because Gargans pretty much always give away the turn, I would half a move through a spell portal on a Gargant turn one, right? And just play with that, play like this, and then outplaying them with uh, the Proving Grounds, and Expert Conqueror or Stoneguard can outscore them. And also the big part of the mess is the suplex, because you can just charge your Avalanor or your Techless in, and then have him protected by other units, because they're going to just flip him over and just, he'll just die, right? So like you'll still, so Howling Gale is really good in that matchup, if you can get it. So that means if Techless has the spells, or you just take a Wind Mage with a spell, right? Because you prevent redeploys, which is important, because you will be chain charging. You'll be charging multiple units into a Gargan to try to take, take it out, right? And you don't want none of those units to take the hardback. So it might be important to just uh, change and up the enhancements if your lists and get uh, Ethereal Blessing on your Enlighter to let her double cast that to let you handle the Gatebreakers, right, with Rent Free, which I think are the best ones, right? I didn't dive that deep into Sons. Yeah. But these are the ones that are scary. Or Broad just buffing the Rent, right, Global one the, also is a mess. Yeah, they've got less attacks, but they've got other things like shutting down yeah, Inspiring like, Presence. We but... really, really, really don't like Rent Free. That's, that's the reason, right? And Sons have a lot of it. And also, like the, the the rampage, the new rampage, the thing that like, makes your units run away is terrible on your stone guard. Right? Did you just lose like a lot of guys? Like I think like two guys for the rampage is a lot. Uh, however, the important part is the trade that gives you the third wound on the stone guard lets you outplay that because that thing is only one or two wound units. So you can try to like have a unit not get fleed. or you can just charge you know two units of stone guard that don't have it and tackles and they'll always suplex you. So you'll at least get the the they will want flee right and like baiting your opponent on techless is a really valid strategy right sometimes losing techless is great because they over over like you know come uh, whatever they just spend too much resources to get rid of him and your unit standing on objectives will win the game right so sometimes just leaving like some open alleys just to bait your opponent to over whatever i don't remember the word to just waste yeah. resources on him is really good right i used to win against yeah, yeah. randomly because they chose to kill my techless in turn three instead of wardens who had all the objectives in the game right because you know killing techless is like the biggest thing the biggest deal for every single player in this game right they are the happiest like techless dies even... everybody's like I don't even care about killing Techless. I, I now just want to suplex him. If I can suplex <laughs> yeah. him with a Colossal Slam, I'll be super happy. It's just, I can't wait to do that. But this is not the Sun Show. This is the Lumineth one. Um, yeah, but the matchup is a mess. I didn't check yeah. it. didn't play it yet. It's it's actually, I need to play it a lot to understand what I need to do. Avalanar yeah, is way better in that matchup, generally speaking, and Alfarian. They're way better than Techless in that matchup. I think to your point, uh, Altharian tying a, a Gargan up, and yes, it's not going to kill it completely, but tying it up from a couple of turns and not even I charging. Mean, it should kill it in two attacks. In two activations, it should kill him on average. Like with some collateral, he does like 16 damage roughly to a four up save. So yeah, this is yeah. very possible. Like he can win against the Gargan. It's not it's like a great... not a plan you want to do every single time, but it is possible. But it's and a like great nobody's trade. gonna expect it. Nobody's ever gonna expect it. That you are just well, like, a... yeah, I'm just gonna charge you with an Alfarian. It's 240 points versus 500. So it's a yeah. great trade regardless. Um, you, you talked about it, the Proving Grounds, uh, Avalonor, if you've got the the half movement and um, being able to manipulate um, through through various spells and things like True. that. Yeah, having move is really good against them. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And it's yeah. ultimately also very battle plan dependent, the matchup, right? Because you will get like spread out objectives and you are pretty bad shape, right? Because... They'll just sit a Gargant on one and you can't kill it reliably and you have to run around. It's going to be tough, honestly. Also beasts, because on turn three, they just kill your army. 
It's just how yeah, it Ren 3. With all, yeah. with all the Ren yeah. 3. Like, yeah, there, there was a question around how Ren 3 works with with your Metrica, and the answer is... It doesn't it, work like that. Like, it doesn't work like people think it does. No, it doesn't turn like Ren a, 3 into Ren 1. It, it's yeah, just I, I've like... I've even seen, like, an interpretation that, like, it is Ren 2 base, and then you buff it to Ren 1, but before it, your Metrica neuters the Ren 2 to Ren 0, and then it's Ren 1. Like, yeah, like, it's like, come on. The triggers yeah. don't even adapt. Like, the time doesn't adapt. Either. If someone yeah. has Ren 3, he just kills your stuff. If you were going to give like, me advice, yeah. sorry, finish your sentence and I'll, I'll ask you two final questions. No, I was just saying that the, the rent free isn't like the point is rent free is the same for every single unit in the game. It's not like we just die, like absolutely like evaporate to rent free. Like we still can like put up free up plus free to save fairly reliably to units. So you can counterplay it without ethereal as well. So like, but you need to think about it and get it planned, have the ranges for your spells, look for covers. It's really important for this army. Maybe that's where the fox comes in and destroys that herdstone. <laughs> yeah, I, I never did that. They never let me. <laughs> I've done it once with. I also never really. End. I never actively tried because I thought losing Severev is way worse. But Beast was also a mess back then. Yeah, the it's, a, it's a bad, it's a bad trade. Um, how do I have like? What's the key to not losing? I guess is is my question. Like, if I'm a Lumineth player and it's like, how do I not lose? I guess like what's the key to not losing like is there a particular piece or a strategy because when I think about when I think about Lumineth I see a lot of people go too heavy in the magic and it's like well where does the offense or the objective control come in um if you you know it's almost like this read balance of having good magic but also good defense but also some good offense and as you've said you're not high damage so how do you kind of balance this all together and and I, I, I guess probably I see a lot of castling as well. You know, armies are probably too castled up, which means that you often lose games because you're not controlling enough objectives, I guess. Yeah, so you castle only for two turns, in my opinion. Your third turn is always like, techless goes here, this stuff goes there, right? And you can still like open for techless, so you can have like gaps in screens because techless isn't easy to kill like it's it, he's really hard to kill for that one turn that you give your opponent just pop finest tower and he's incredibly tough to take down if you have the word of a five up right and yeah <laughs> yeah that's true so um he's really actually tough like if you you put out like if you even have like a mystic shield on him he's really tough to bring down for that one turn and a lot of people will try to go for him if they can right and you can just like leave it open there and just it just protects your like there's a lot of psychology involved with the tech list because people hate him so much so like most opponents will actively try to kill him always and it often you can just like actively try to keep him away right but like in subtle ways that it's not blatantly obvious right there's a lot of fun stuff about that i play a lot of tech lists, so this will be more, more tech list focused right now because like since worlds i only played tech lists when the foxes when i put them on the on the you know on the bench they are somewhere there. Um, so having a rest, they're uh, having a rest at the moment. Yeah, they did a lot of work, right? Like moving this fast takes some effort. So with essentially, I personally think that it's more important to avoid damage than to deal damage. So I very rarely charge stuff just to have a fight, if you know what I mean, right? Like I don't, I wouldn't charge like six pigs with ten stone guard just to kill one pig, maybe two, and then take two rounds of pigs in my, to my face. Uh, you, you would, I prefer to just stand still, have my, my, you have to move towards the points, right? Your castle is very tough against most armies, so it's not that easy to break. It's actually a very tough army to break most of the time. Unless, you know, you just get Iron Jaws to turn one, right? And you just die, right? That happens too. So 
and you want to position yourself so that you get the stranglehold on the points, right? Because through your expert conquerors, through your very tough stone guard, like 30 wound block, free up save, ignoring rent to ward five, ward four into mortals, right? It gets really hard to take them out and you need to secure control of the objectives. That's incredibly important. It's way more important to move onto the points of the killer opponent's stuff because through storms and through runes, and through some collateral damage for combat, like shooting stuff, doing stuff here, there, they will eventually stop being there. But this is like a playstyle that leads to like wins by like six points like, or four points, like which isn't that good on differentials, which are I think are the rising like system to score in tournaments now, right? But you will secure your wins way easier. It's way harder to lose this way if you play this way, but it's really really hard to stomp someone. And yeah. Luminef, like in the previous book, when I tried to actively charge, like it's way better now because you don't lose your companies and stuff, right? But actively charging was always like a mess of a game, right? Because I charged and like I fought and like I did the damage, like because like on average, like 10 wardens killed a shark in combat in the previous book when they had the lantern thingy, they do the free mortal wounds, right? If you had power, you on average killed a shark. But if you charged the shark, you had no defensive spells because you didn't. And because you went for offense, you didn't kill the shark, you won seven wounds, you just lost like half of your wardens and it was a mess. Like it, everything went very spiral downhill, right? So I generally play not to lose in the early game. And then I make the plays later on if I lose too much stuff, right? It also, like techless, like that's why I really wanted to fit an Alfarian into the techless list to have a linebacker, right? Him sitting by techless just and just when something breaks through, you kill it, right? Because techless is pretty good at that. However, he isn't the best in combat, obviously, even though he got buffed because he degrades way less. Uh, <laughs> Shock. His spells are good, right? But he doesn't have, like, Luminev have very little damage spells, right? You have Storm if you run Techless. You have the Fissure, but pretty much only if you run Techless. You have the, the weird Tether thingy from the Enlighter, which you'll have to look into exactly how it works. If you can one-tap the Gargans with it. Because if you can just uh, Tether, like, if, if this goes for, like, 30, you just Tether the Enlighter to a Gargant, you charge it, and it will kill itself. Or at least like do 20 damage, right? But we're not sure how it works, okay? Yeah, right? Yeah, that's yeah. An, yeah, so so that is an option at least sometimes to get the damage, right? You just really need to scrap for the damage. So often I would just like forego some casts, like I would not cast eclipses in round three or four, because I need that one more mortal wound spell to do something here, right? And it's really important to focus on not getting unbound and getting unbinds. It's a really delicate balance. It's very like gut feely stuff, right? Because Casting on a 10 is, you, you still can get unbound. It's really important, right? Like someone just rolls dice and just rolls an 11 and your game plan collapses, right? And this is very important to manage, to know where actually you want to unbind your the spells with tech list and when you want to have guaranteed casts, even though it's pretty tough, like, but it's like more round one, round two deployment stuff, right? To have a, like to know where you can move forward, where you cannot move forward because some spells are just needed or you, you need storms to win, for instance, right? And you will deploy Techless back and you will guarantee the storm and the protection, right? And then you will move into the castle, like, and you will try to nest between two objectives. You don't want Techless on an objective because I have said people will try to kill him and you want to not, when they go for it, they, you don't want them on the points, right? Because this is the, the gamble kind of late game, right? Where you just leave your Techless open, they go for him, but they leave the points and you try to scrap that way, right? And it's really, really hard to just kill everyone. It, it, it's, it's actively hard with this list. You can do that, right? There's a lot of scrapping you can do, like charging heroes, like an enlighter has like three damage to attacks, like that's damage to two damage. Like it's, it's actually valuable in this army to, to, to damage sometimes. Do you think, um, do you think 
endless spells can help breach that gap of defense of damage whether it's um like gnashing jaws perfect example of like a turn one threat um quicksilver swords i've grown a real mm. a real passion for being able to not be able to save at all um there's a couple of offensive plays that you have guarantees almost to cast them so do you think that yes. fills in uh, voids so you always run the rune in my opinion we have talked about the rune it's fantastic outside of the uh, room yeah, if you're running techlist, you have to have the mirrors, right? If you don't have them, uh, spell portal. I, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We call it the mirrors in Poland. So <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, it's the spell portal. I'm sorry. And and the third one I would say would be the jaws, right? Uh, the jaws have a lot of synergy because we have the overwhelming heat in the lore, mm. and the stone mage has another half a move spell on the scroll, which is actually pretty cool. So you can, you know, quad the move down and then move the jaws over. I don't think they are a good turn one threat because the range is very random, right? And it's hard to combo other spells in turn one if you're giving it away, right? Which we talked about because the range on it's 18 inches within for the wind mage and holy within 24 for the overwhelming hit, right? I think the jaws is like 36 move, one inch within, and it's like set up within eight or six. I'm not sure on that one though. But like it's not the, yes. it's not guaranteed to move over, right? It's it's like 36 no, like but... 10. When it's set up, you can re-roll the dice. So it's three, okay. six. So, de so depending on the so battle like plan and the like, distance. Maybe like, like 12 or something. So yeah, it might be. I mean, jaws are good. If you can get yeah. them, jaws, jaws are good, right? And they do a lot of damage. I just personally prefer to invest in defense and investing in the units I want, right? Because endless spells are good, and they but they are expensive, right? In the tech, in I have like 120 points tied in endlesses. That's like five stronger. I don't have on the field, right? And like rune isn't that great into sons, for instance. like damage wise right and if i go for a second endless i might go overboard and not have the dudes on the field so this is the same style like i'm trying to minimize the heroes i have and lighter might not be correct in the list i might cut her because she's like 170 points that's like double speeding but it's on the free up so it doesn't happen always and like other than that she isn't giving you that much if you cut the phoenix node because it's not that good it turns out not to be good and just want more dudes because dudes are the thing right and texas is all the support you pretty much need uh, other than you, you of course have to have a stone mage because you have to. two more burning questions one yeah. while we talk about endless spells is the other two the other two you've got sanctum oh. and you've got twin stones Did, is there a play with lumineth so we've talked about the sanctum it's the worst screw in the book period <laughs> why why for, for, for the for the people who haven't looked at it like why would you not recommend sanctum okay so so it, it has a use okay it has like a very small use but so essentially it gives you a it makes your hilo immobile it makes him have a huge base and has like minus one to hit and I think cover. No, yeah, plus one to save. So you can have like, so you have like the buff that you gain from garrisoning a shrine, essentially. But you pay an endless spell for and you can't move with it. It's just, and it goes off on a seven. So the only thing that this is good for, in my opinion, is you put it on a stone mage and you it makes it easier to throw the 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 command tree that's holy within six, right? Because you have a bigger base. But I would still say that way you want to go into the shrine and get that through this, even though I hate going to the shrine. My shrine is pretty much always empty on the field because you get the reroll anyway, it's within 12, but you are not moving that fast with your stone guard near hero block. So you get the reroll for the heroes anyway. And the free command point isn't that good, in my opinion. I just don't like all out attacking with this army. It's just like you, you, you get the bonus, but your damage from attacks isn't that high. So the value you get from the command point isn't great. I just like to throwing defenses all the time, chaining the saves to buffs to save, getting the real charges if I need to running six, even though I rarely do that. And 
ensuring my army doesn't die because if my army doesn't die i don't lose right that's very simple and the shrine moved from once per turn to once per battle round for the command ability right i'm pretty sure you get only get a free, um, I didn't free even one check once that. per I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, once, it's per once per battle round. round. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, I, used, I, it used to yeah. be once per turn. Now it's once per battle round. So yeah, you've effectively lost in. 50% yeah, yeah. of your command points. I didn't even know that changed. Thanks I noticed that, that one. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even check that. Honestly. There you go. I read the rerolls if they work on units, but they don't. So, well. Coach cares. He cares about the shrine. <laughs> um, yeah. and what yeah, I think any possible terrain is way more valuable, in my opinion. Just having to know where your opponent can't get you, breaking up the spaces between your units so they can double tap your units with a single one, I think that's way more valuable. And twin stones, I played the same so with Seraphon. What? Oh, a Twin Stones. Yeah, I forgot. I'm sorry. Twin Stones <laughs> were really good. I used to run them in my list. It was the list I had at Worlds. Uh, so the point was that Lampent Light was busted, as all hell, right? And you needed it to get out, right? And I played Alamnia to move my all my, my units before the game, so I had Usually my Regent or my Wardens move up in range of Lampent Light, and I moved every single thing away from Unbinds. So I, they only had one chance to unbind Lampent Light, and I had plus four or three from the stones, right? And that was the thing I used them for. You could use them now to, like, guarantee Eclipses, even though I have said previously I don't think Eclipse is that good. Like, sorry, like guaranteeing Eclipse isn't for worth as much as an additional cast and 50 points and an endless slot. That's what I'm trying to say. It used to be busted in the first book when you just gate everyone plus two to cast all the time, that's extremely busted. Now it's like if you have like if you find a way to exploit a single spell in a great way, it could work, like how I did with the Lambent Light previously, right? I did it for Eclipse as a fail save. If I couldn't get in the range of yeah. Lambent Light, I get I got the Eclipse. So you still need a backup plan, but it's useful at least. It has a niche or a, an idea that you can use with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I guess it depends on what you need and ha what it's competing for. I think you know we talked about burning head to our, you know geminids. There's so many there's so many useful tools. It's just burning what, head what is you, what... yeah. It's only useful because it's pretty much free and it's a mortal wound spell. And as I have said, we don't have much, so getting any is good. That's yeah. my opinion on the burning head. Yeah, but at the same time, that twenty points could be the triumph, the difference between a triumph and no triumph. Yeah, or it would get indomitable in this book. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's I actually more... is a really good triumph, but. But more importantly, it also could stop your opponent from getting yeah, a trial. Yeah. So that That's that correct. that also can be just as valuable. That's probably more valuable for us. Yeah, yeah. All right. Last question. This has been awesome. Two and a half hours. I this is longer than I thought this was going to be. But yeah, I'm sorry, given I the no, 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 this is good. But given the depth of the book and the complexity of bringing things together, I think you know it was, it was very valuable. So thank you for your time and the extra time spending with me. But thanks for having me. No, absolutely. And I'll let you do some shout outs in a second. But before we do that, I've got one burning question. That is, if you could add one more unit to this book, what would you be adding? And by the way, folks who watch this video, I expect you to be putting this in the comment section, not only to boost my YouTube algorithms, but also to tell me what you would add to this book. What's the one unit you would add? But you mean like from the aesthetic point of view or for the role whatever. in the game point of view? Whatever, whatever you want. I want Hippocav <laughs> like everyone else. I want Hippocav. Like not that fast, but like they hit like a truck. We have no units that hit like a truck. A Hippocav would look great. Or a dragon. Uh, Dragon's fine too. I I'm going to be a crowd pleaser. And it's funny that this person has just mentioned it. Tyrion. Ah, Tyrion's going to come out. I don't even need to wish for it. He's going to come out we eventually. 
what what do you think Tyrion's going to bring to the army? Do you think he's going to bring like angel elves? Is he going to bring in like what's what what does nah, Tyrion bring so. to this side? I think we have like a lot of arts of Tyrion, right? Like he looks like Tyrion from old. He's just probably bigger. I think he would get like you had the whole storyline with Morati freeing Anarion, right, from Slanesh. I think he'll have like there was some rumors about him having a phoenix, right, from Anarion, and that makes sense lore wise because Teclis has his moon guy, right, the Selenar. And Tyrion will have to have a huge mount because that's how gods work in Age of Sigmar. Like, you don't make small models for them. And I don't think he can be made like a big avatar dude. And I don't think that would be cool anyway. Like like the 40k avatar of Kane, right? I don't think that's what they're going to do with him. So I think he's going to get a mount thingy. And I think that Phoenix works well because people like Phoenixes. It's a big part of the lore of the Hylos, which Lumineth are, obviously. And I think there are like on the banners, right? On the banner blade banner, there is like a Phoenix sigil. There is a lot of like, like iconography yeah. spread around the model range, right? And that would be great. It also ties to the Broken Realms, blah, 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 right? Stuff like that. So I think he'll get it. And the dragon, yeah, but no wings. I want the, the Chinese like serpent dragon. I had this crack theory that when Tyrion comes, that the Phoenix Guard and the Phoenixes from Cities of Sigma will come back over to Luminar. No, I, have this... I don't believe that. You don't think? Yeah, the, the 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 aesthetics of the range in plastic, like like the, they have a very very distinct aesthetics, and it's incredibly not like the Phoenix Guard. It's totally not similar. All these are elves, right? Yeah, but you got you got to look at the high elves. You had the Sea Guard and the you had the the yeah, lion, yeah. the I lion. Mean, yeah, if it, they would, they could make like Phoenix Guard esque dudes, but using the as part of the Luminous Forces new units, right? That's very probable, actually, right? Because yeah. I think cities are getting squatted, right? Eventually. Yeah, and that's what I believe, but we don't talk about this stuff now, right? Nah, different show. <laughs> yeah. But if people wanted to, this has been awesome. Again, two and a half hours, <laughs> almost three hours. It feels like one of the episodes of Lord of the Rings. Um, if people want to talk to you, um, are you on Twitter? Are you where can people no. find you on the social medias? If I want to like talk, I I am never I never had a Twitter. I made Facebook only to play in tournaments in this game. I never had it previously. So I'm not really on the internet anywhere. I have a Discord. I guess we can link it. I don't know how to check it right now because I'm afraid I'll break something again with the computer like I used to at the middle. I'll, I'll add your Discord handle. Yeah, in, you can uh, add it. In, in, That's in fine. The, I don't have anything else, right? I have a Facebook, right? I'm just Kubako Strubitz on Facebook. And I have a Luminef for a picture profile. So it's like the face reveal stuff, right? Um, and I don't have any any other social media stuff. I don't use All right. those. All right, come chat. I'm come chat on now. Discord. Uh, yeah. You're, Feel free. Yeah. Is there anyone you want to shout out? Team Poland. Anyone? Any, any people you want to give some love to? Thank you again. This has been awesome. Almost three hours of LRL goodness, and I'm sure we could dig a whole lot deeper in so many different types of builds. Like you know, I reckon there's a really good star shard ballista build. I think there's some serious. I think you want there. two exactly two ballista. That's really good. I don't think you want one. I don't think you want three. I think you want two. Two are really good. They give you the the minuses to hit if you need them. They need you to. They give you the range threat, and it's very long range threat. And they are generally speaking good. I think. Ballista I think they feel the they feel the void in the threat void that sentinels used to have. Yeah, um, yeah. And they're cheaper. And um, they, well, they are. They, they are way less sustainable and they don't hold objectives as well. But around that, yes. But they because they are five wounds. What? Don't they, have a, don't they have a good ward? If they, they don't have move? a six ward. So that's like, yeah. uh, it's only six. Uh, I usually want to have, you know, uh, the bubble somewhere in the army from the protection, be it techless or, yeah, I don't like 20 sentinels, honestly. I just prefer to have 10 dawn range in the back and reinforce my front line or have a more expensive monster in the field. 
I just don't really like the Sentinels now because they need the spell to do the damage at range. And you want the spells to be cast throughout the army, so you gain a caster unit, but it's not a caster unit because it needs to cast its spell to do the damage, if you understand the thing. And if they don't have power, they like two more damage at range. Like That's nothing, right? That's like yeah, a tick gotta, of the rune, right? Like, come on. You've got to over-invest into getting the power out of them that you yeah, used you need to have. the Lord Regent, you need a lot of them, and that's like a lot of points you spend on them. So yeah, I'm not a big fan. Shoutouts. Who do you want to who do you want to give give some love to? Uh, I didn't think about it, but I'm gonna shout out my local gaming group. In the, we are in the north of the of Poland in Gdynia, that's the city. And the, our local store is called Dragon. It's called Dragon actually, but we say it in Polish: Dragon, not Dragon. And it has a lovely logo. So I shout out everybody who's playing around there, who's playing with me around there, and stuff like that. And I want to shout out to Miles Poland. I think we're gonna do pretty well, even though they. It was it was pretty good. I was happy with the showing of our team did, even though most of Poland wasn't, but that doesn't matter. So shout out to everyone who plays with me and who plays this game and who plays Luminef actually, because the faction is by far the coolest in the game. Actually, I want to ask you one final thing. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a lot of people upset with this book. People who don't think that it's a very good book. People who are sad that they lost rules. People who might think this is a competitive. The last thing we're going to say is what would you say to those people who are thinking that this book is not very good? So I think this book is very competitive right now. It has, it is not very, okay, it's not very competitive. It's competitive because if they remove bounty hunters, I think the army is going to be great and it's going to work and it's going to not have like, you know, I just got flied off the field in two rounds, right? Uh, stuff like that. If they get rid of bounty hunters, this book is very good in my opinion, especially if the new GHB isn't like has other game breaking stuff that will be terrible for us or like promote more damage, right? Which is already promoted in the game. Playing with low damage is actually fun. It's very fun. It's very tense. And bring your chess clocks with this army because if you actually, the army is not that long to play. You roll very little dice, honestly. It's not that much. You don't have artificial time spent. You just have to take like two, three minutes, count your spells, know what you want, where, have a fail safe plan play it i play very fast i play like 10 rounds 10 minutes around usually my time so it's very doable just need to focus because you don't have like when you play beasts or nurgle just low roll like millions of dice and that's altogether a waste your time and this army doesn't have that so it's very you can put the pressure on the clock on your opponent with this and the book is more fun to play with if you're not into foxes yeah yeah Look, I absolutely think that this could be a fun list to not be to be castling. I think absolutely you could be an aggressive with a beef of secrets type of list. I think you could it, definitely it can work do like, it. because the bonuses of castling outside of tech list is just having all your spells be available to be cast on every single unit you have, and sometimes the protection aura, which is tiny anyway. So you can just run around and enjoy your time. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. You can like have very a lot of units in this, and they work. They are very autonomous. They they work very well. They're kind of one use with the quartz, but after that, they just die. But it's fine. It's, if you play MSU, it works. I used to play MSU when Cogs gave you casts, and I had like 20 casts at turn. It was glorious. My, my, my final thing I'd say to people is that given that this is a six-month season and we are recording at the end of October and we're likely to get the General's Handbook in December, you've got my, – my advice to anyone listening to this is don't judge this book until the next General's Handbook because, as you've already mentioned, Kuba, the – Bounty Hunters has impacted not just Lumineth, but other armies. Yes, you've lost some things, but I think you've also gained some things. And you're not as strong as you used to be. 
you're not winning because you're oppressive and you shot off people's key pieces and they just couldn't play the army. You're going to, you're going to win, but you're going to fight hard. You're going to, you're going to have fun and you're going to do it because you played well, not that the army was busted. Not that I think the army was busted in the last couple of months, but definitely, no, no, it, it, it is paying for the sins of probably the past for the first year yeah, or so. Well, you can say that. It, but like, like, you know, it wasn't like Lumineth was going 5-0 and o at tournaments for the last 6 to 12 months. It's not like you weren't They were just that. oppressive to play at the table itself. But when a person thought about the game afterwards, they knew that they could just stand still and win against most Luminous builds. You just had to you, stand still and you won. You were a gatekeeper to the top. You were a yeah, gatekeeper. You you were like we KO when KO was at its, at its greatest. KO was a nightmare for certain people, but for other Still armies, is. Well, I mean, for some armies, they couldn't care less. But for you, it's like, oh, see you later, Teclas. No, Teclas doesn't die to KO. He dies like turn three. They can't kill yeah. him when you have him nine inches behind the screen. If he can't die turn one, then. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, unless he's like very, but that like we can don't talk about matches. Right <laughs> we're now. going to do a weird weird. All right. <laughs> Kuba, thank you so much for your for this wonderful insight. Uh, people, I really do want to hear from you in the comment section. It is the early version of this video. I will do lots more Lumineth discussions as we go. Uh, and as people get more practice and, and learn more things and we go into a new general's handbook and we see how, how things change. But I think there's definitely some builds in here. The most thing I'm excited about is some list variety. Bring me out the kangaroos. Bring out the light of Altharian. Bring out the beefer of secrets. Bring out um, the bannerman. Bring out like all well, these so many things that I've never seen before that I think finally we're going to start to see. So that is a win to me. But um, Kuba, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Team Poland. You you rock. And uh, thank you everyone who joined the stream. Remember to do like, subscribe, all that stuff. All right. Let's yeah. Go. Thanks for having me. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would love it if you press like on the video, as well as left me a comment to let me know what your thoughts are. The conversation will continue over on Discord, and the link is down below in the video description. I want to give a massive shout out as well to the AOS Coach Patreons and YouTube members who are going in and the funds are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you're all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a one on a redeploy.